The following is a conversation with Hajir Gracie, widely considered to be the greatest jiu-jitsu competitor of all time. And now, a quick few second mention of each sponsor. Check them out in the description. It's the best way to support this podcast. We got Bambi for HR services, Mizzenamain for style, Blinkist for nonfiction, and Athletic Greens for nutrition. Delicious nutrition. Choose wisely, my friends. And now onto the full ad reads. As always, no ads in the middle. I try to make this interesting, but if you skip them, if you must sinfully, with the regret in your heart, skip them. <laughs> you don't have to have regret in your heart. Let go of regret. Live without regret, my friends. Uh, please still check out the sponsors. I enjoy their stuff. Maybe you will too. This show is brought to you by Bambi, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E. It's an outsourced and automated human resources solution for businesses. It was built to give businesses a dedicated yet cost-effective human resource option at just 99 bucks per month. There's so many things involved in running a business, only some of which I deeply enjoy. <laughs> uh, doing the innovation, the engineering, the details engineering, whether that's software, hardware, mechanical, materials, all of it. I love the engineering. I love the early design stages when you're coming up with ideas. I even love uh, the product design. So coming up with a short-term and long-term vision of how to design things, how, how to uh, bring joy to the world by building cool stuff, and then doing that at scale, doing mass manufacture, even that is super interesting. But to make all of that work, you have to do all the sort of the glue, the cohesive chemistry that makes an uh, business run, and a big part of that is managing the people. It's after all the people that do all the magic in a business. And managing the people is what's in English called human resources. So you gotta use good tools for the job, great tools for the job, and uh, hopefully affordable, uh, cost-effective tools for that job, which is exactly what Bambi is. You can schedule your free conversation today. Go to Bambi.com and type Lex under podcast when signing up. That's spelled B-A-M-B-E-E. -E. This show is also brought to you by Mizzen Maine, the maker of comfortable, stylish dress shirts and other menswear that I'm currently wearing and I just popped my collar. Like just because I'm feeling pretty good about this. I'm feeling stylish, I'm feeling sexy. <laughs> uh, th this feels like an SNL skit. Uh, what was it? When the guy's like looking in the mirror and doing positive affirmations. I don't think I've ever looked in the mirror and said, boy, you're looking sexy today. The moment I am, I think I'm uh, on a slippery slope to a place I don't want to be. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, so I'm obviously doing it just for jokes. I, it feels comfortable. I just like the way it feels. I like the way it looks. My favorite thing to wear is a suit and tie for more formal or for when I'm doing more serious kinds of engagements like podcasts or presentations, or just something I wanna take super seriously. And then the most relaxed thing is just a t-shirt, but in between that is a dress shirt. And for dress shirts, comfortable, sexy dress shirts, I go to Mizzen and Maine. I highly recommend them. I obviously wear a, a black dress shirt. Right now you can get a special discount, just go to Mizzen and Maine and use promo code LEX. This show is also brought to you by Blinkist my favorite app for learning new things. Blinkist takes key ideas from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down into 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. I'm not exactly sure why the pace of this segment of the program is uh, 
being delivered at an increasingly fast pace. I wish I was able to talk this quickly during regular conversation. I think people criticize me for speaking too quickly. Uh, so <laughs> well, that's a Freudian slip. Or not a Freudian slip, but a misstatement. Uh, I think nobody's ever criticized me for speaking too quickly. Uh, too much, maybe, yes. Uh, too slowly, yes. Uh, boring and monotone, yes. Check, 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 but uh, not too quickly. I think because I'm really thinking on the spot a lot, and I like the silence. I think the silence between words, at least for me, helps me think. It also helps calm down the pace of the conversation where the other person can think. Oftentimes the reason I'm talking is not necessarily to express an idea, like I really, really wanna express an idea, but it's really to an express an idea in the service of the conversation, in the service of inspiring the other person to build on top of that idea. I really don't just want to uh, sound smart or say something that uh, I believe needs to be said. Uh, most of the time I'm trying to dance. I'm trying to be a good dance partner. So anyway, all that said, the fuel, the catalyst uh, for the being a good dance partner in conversation is wisdom. And I gain some of my wisdom to the small degree that I have it from reading books. And you can read them in full or you can read them in part. And that's where Blinkist comes in. Really the greatest of all time summaries in nonfiction books you can find anywhere. It's just incredible. I recommend it very highly. You can claim a special offer for savings if you go to Blinkist.com slash Lex. This show is also brought to you by Athletic Greens and it's AG1 Drink which is an all-in-one daily drink to support better health and peak performance. All-in-one, all-in-one daily drink that I drink twice a day. So it's all-in-one, but twice a day. But I think most people drink it once a day. But I have doubled the fun and doubled the deliciousness. Anyway, it's, it's the way I guarantee you to have like a nutritional basis on which I can do, on top of which I can do all kinds of crazy stuff. All the nutritional diet stuff I do, uh, whether it's eat once a day or fast or doing uh, long runs, like 12, 15 miles, uh, doing long stretches of mental work, just all the crazy stuff I do. Um, or when I do carnivore, it just ensures that I'm getting the basic nutrients into my body. It's like a amazing uh, multivitamin, but it does just, a lot more uh, than that. And uh, they'll give you one month supply official. Another thing that's essential thing that I take every day when you sign up at athleticgreens.com slash Lex. Take care of your body and mind, friends. It's the only one of each that you got. This is the Lex Friedman podcast. To support it, please check out our sponsors in the description. And now, dear friends, here's Hodger Gracie. Let's start with possibly the greatest match in jiu-jitsu history, your second match against Buchesha. Let's go through the details. Let's go through the whole thing. So the walk leading up to it. You always do this walk, this <laughs> epic walk. You post that on Instagram. Henzo posted that on Instagram. Yeah. This calm walk towards the mat. Well, let's go to that match in particular. What was going through your mind? You've been away from competition, facing probably one of the greatest and at that time, many people considered the greatest jiu-jitsu competitor of all time in Buchecha. 
here's the old man, the old timer getting back at, uh, out there. What were you thinking? Yeah, I think that's the first time since probably I got my black belt that I wasn't the favorite walking into a fight, I have to say. Like a lot of people thought, consider him the favorite. I mean, understandable. You know, I was out of competition for a while. He was just winning everything. So, you know, saying about the walk, like for me, you know, the fight starts way before the referees say go, you know. It's, uh, it's all the focus and concentration that I think is very important for me to start before. Like, you know, I almost walk blind to the mat. Many times I passed to like great friends and I couldn't see anyone, you know, they're trying to talk to you and I'm like, I'm 100% focused on my opponent already, even though that I cannot even see him in front of me. So I think that's for me was always uh, very important to try to clear my mind out from everything. Are you visualizing the opponent or not are you just clearing? Not at, just... That, not at that time. Right. Is there, what's what's in your head? Is it like a calm river with birds chirping? What, what, it's what's blank, it? just blank. Just darkness. Blank, yeah, darkness. Okay. And that's what we see in that calmness, is just blankness. How hard yeah. is it to achieve that blankness? It's difficult to say because I think I don't remember when. I'll say probably as a black belt, I try to focus like that, not to think. Because... It's probably something you learn is the more you think, the more nervous you get. And there's nothing that you're going to gain by thinking of the fight or the possibilities, what you know, what you can do, what can go wrong, what can go right, because it's unpredictable. It's, you have absolutely no idea. It's impossible to predict the fight. And you discover that if you just let those nervous feelings go and empty your mind, it actually is pretty effective. It is. It, it, it makes you feel better. It's, you know, you, you kind of control your emotion, control the adrenaline on your body up to a level. So it, it, it absolutely helps you, you know, focus in the fight. I've learned that in jiu-jitsu and ge in general in life, that whenever something feels really shitty, you can just like take that thought and not think about it. Yeah. Like I do that like on long runs or like a fast run or, yeah, in jiu-jitsu, especially when I getting older, out of shape, like that feeling of exhaustion. Well, you can always get to the feeling of exhaustion. You could just not think about it. Yeah. Not think about being exhausted. Yeah. Just, and that somehow relaxes you. I think uh, maybe in the face of exhaustion, all the fears start to creep in. Maybe your muscles tighten up. I don't know. This is for the the, uh, the amateur <laughs> person. Uh, but it, it's kind of funny how you can just take that thought and let go of it. So you get, as a black belt competitor, you get used to, you get good at letting go of any thoughts. Yeah. When you mention to exhaustion is, I mean, that's another good example of it. It's, you know, there's a lot of times in the fight, you're getting tired and you're getting pretty tired. So it's like the last thing you want to think of it is how tired you are. It doesn't matter because it doesn't. What are you going to do, quit? <laughs> I mean, yeah. it doesn't matter. It's yeah. how tired you are. It's Yeah, there's that, no value thinking about it. There's no value. It's, you just have to go through it. So when you're like, uh, you know, many minutes into the match and you're slowly moving as you sometimes do, tying your belt, catching your breath, you're not thinking about anything. You're trying to let go of, the, yeah. of thinking. I'm trying to like to save everything to the fight. Like nothing goes to waste. It's, you know, every move unnecessary, it's, it's just gonna make you more tired or it's gonna take something out of you. Like. You know, I try to calculate every single move I make, save as much energy as I can, so I can fully, you know, be focused 100% on 
in the fight. No way, especially energy-wise. And that's instinctual, like uh, minimizing the amount of moves. You're not like explicitly thinking, should I do this or not? It's just, no. just don't move unless it's absolutely required. Yeah, because fight is, you, you cannot really, there's not really time to think much, you know, so it's, it's, it's your instinct are playing. It's like, it's, you know, you already have your, uh, you know, your, your weapons, let's say, you know, your, the, the, the things that you do, are, it's just you wait for the perfect moment. The beauty of it is, you know, is there's the right moment to everything. If you're if you one second too late, it doesn't work or you get messy. So it's, you know, you're trying to catch that moment. That's is, you know, and for that, you have to be fully focused on what you're doing because one second is you out. It won't work. But you're, you're not exactly known as somebody that moves super quickly. So no. the, <laughs> so the moment. It's not about how quickly you move. It's about uh, the right moment. So it's you, right you move slowly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not like it's speed. It's not like you have to move the speed of light. It's it's, it's the move itself at that precise moment. It doesn't have to be super fast because your opponent's not moving super fast. You know, so it's it's, it's a combination of moving between you and him. I mean, the same thing happens in in judo, and the movement can be really small. Yeah. It's just judo is a is a bit more explosive, you know. It's, it's, it's the moves are slightly faster, so it you know it does require a bit more explosiveness in judo. But even just the right timing for an off balance, yeah, just a little tug. Yeah, yeah. And it's then, not that the you know moving the speed is not going to count that much. Yeah, it's the timing that you initiate that move. You see that with foot sweeps. There's nothing more beautiful than not. Yeah like a Olympic level athletes going at it in the Olympics and a perfect and, somebody, <laughs> and it's just, yeah. and you see one man's life flash before his eyes and realize like, I'm supposed to be the top three person in the world that I just find. And they don't, they have this look on their face. Like, I don't know what just happened. It's beautiful to see. You, you don't see that. I guess you see that in boxing knockouts and stuff like that. You don't know what the hell just happened. Yeah. Is that precise moment of movement that you get caught, like it's, it's that one split second, that's it. Do you get that in jiu-jitsu at all? Because judo has, because of the explosiveness, because of the point scoring system that incentivizes these giant throws, um, has these moments where everything just turns on a single moment. Do you have that in jiu-jitsu too? Not really, because then it's points. It's, you get like, you know, two points. So it's, because we, I think regarding the submission, it's not just one precise movement that changes everything. I think judo is the takedown that counts as a submission, like Ipon, fight over. Jiu-Jitsu don't have that. So you will, you will score points, but I think in terms of submission, you need to get to uh, you know, a dominant position first, and then the submission will come slowly. It's a process. Yeah. Okay, let's go back to that guy with, with his mind. So actually in the weeks leading up to it, in the days, in the hours, in the minutes, is there some fear in you leading up to this? I mean, I'm not gonna say, you know, that I'm fearless because everybody fears something, you know? The fear is there, but it's like how much you let that control you. I think I was a lot more confident than fearful, I, for sure, walking to that fight. Like, I, I was pretty confident that yeah, I could beat him. What was the source of that confidence? My belief on on, on me, this 
Okay, I can so, take the word. <laughs> not you can take anyone in the world, but is there specific strategic, like uh, you know, talking to Donaher, he believes that there's no such thing as confidence, like or rather, the way you get confidence is through data, <laughs> like that you have proven yourself effective, uh, in previous situations. But with Buchecha, you don't you don't have much data. It was a very, t the first time you faced him was a very tough, that was also one of the greatest matches of all time. It was very tough. So doesn't that creep in like that doubt because you don't, you don't have enough data to be confident based on. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, okay, if I never have fought before, you know, suddenly walk into a fight with someone like that, then would I be that confident? I mean, probably no, you know, so that, history of what, you know, what we've been doing, what we've been achieving does gives you confidence. If that was my first fight ever, I wouldn't, probably I wouldn't be that confident. <laughs> but the time off? Uh, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You don't have the fear or the actual physical experience, the psychological experience of being rusty, of being out of that the competition. That will come out on training. So you, okay, so you simulate yeah, some aspect yeah. of that in the training. Yeah, I mean, it's, the, the training will tell you how you are. Did you increase the intensity of the training leading up to this? Yeah, I mean, I train, I train normal. Let's say compared to the first fight, uh, the, the second was a lot more confidence because, you know, like I said on training, the training for the first fight, you were terrible. So, <laughs> what, what do you mean? I think I was uh, focusing MMA for a while, for a couple of months, and I wasn't really focusing the gi. And, you know, by the time I accept the fight and start training, like all my responses on training were off. Like all my training partners that I used to train with that I destroyed. I mean, now they like, they're beating me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like I cannot beat them the way I, 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 I was used to. Mm -hmm. But, you know, so I, I knew was, something was not right for the first fight. But then it's, it's, it's a, you know, no points. It's submission or, or draw. So Yeah, for people who don't know, it was in Mother Morris, which is a 20-minute match. Submission only, so there's no, the winner's yeah. determined only by submission, otherwise it's a draw. So physically, I, was, I wasn't myself on that fight. I, I was tired, and I, my body wasn't responding. Anyway, so that, so the confidence was different from the first, the second. I think I was confident enough that I wouldn't get tapped out on the first, that I was still gonna fight, because he has to tap me out to beat me. And I trust on my defense. I'm confident enough on my defense that he will not tap me out. But in terms of winning, you know, walking to the second fight, I was a lot more confident. What can you say about that feeling when something's not right? Isn't that a thing that breaks people? It is weird, breaks. It's weird. Like people crack, they give up. You know, this it's it's a, it's a big test because it's, it's it's like being really tired. It's the same thing. It's like a lot of people crack because they just feel they cannot give in more. They have not, nothing more to give. So they just like give up, it's too hard. So what do you do, just again, take the thoughts out? There's no giving up. <laughs> I mean, that, that, I don't mind, I don't care. Like you just giving up is not an option, it's not. That's always the way you thought? Yeah. About Jiu Jitsu? Yeah, like, never. I, I, I've never gave up. I mean, I tapped, it's, you know, not giving up is not, not tapping, that's just stupid. Especially, you know, doing training. Like it's, I get caught, I tap. I've never ever hurt myself by not tapping. I get, you get angry, you know, it's 
train hard, you know, improve, make a, make yourself better. You got caught. Accept that you made a mistake. Give up, tap, then try harder. So you know the not tapping. It's you're sacrificing your body, and you know it's, it's, you you'll never be the same. Like if you let your elbow pop, the elbow will never ever be the same ever. Yeah. You let yourself go to sleep, your resistance drops. So it's everybody has a has a limit of resistance until they you know you, to resist a choke before you pass out. The moment that you 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 go to sleep, that resistance will drop. According I've to never it. heard anyone say that. That's yeah. awesome. So that's people, true. So it, tap. So that's the reason because people usually say it's you no. Can, you can, it's, it's, it's the same or you getting knocked out. You get knocked out the first time, your resistance drops. Your jaw get weak, gets weaker. So just for the record, I've never gone to sleep in jiu-jitsu, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, means my resistance is high, right? I yeah, don't know. Must be. Oh, your defense <laughs> is pretty good. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> no, I would um, because it doesn't make sense to me, or maybe in my case, I think my understanding of when I'm screwed is pretty good. Yeah. Like there's no. You know, you're in trouble. Yeah. One of the things I regret the most about my jiu-jitsu journey is not having given enough time to um, uh, being in really bad positions. Like the better I got, I think the less I started being in bad positions, which is it's a because terrible. You, you spar. That's like the, that is how you train. Yeah. Because you used to just spar. When you spar, like it's difficult to, to be in bad positions a lot. You train with better people, but I mean, let's say five, eight, six minute rows. How long are you going to be in a really bad position? Not long, right? So you don't really have time to develop. That's why people, they don't, you know, they don't train being bad positions because you have to start there over and over again to be used to it. <laughs> yeah, or put yourself there. I just didn't have that mindset, I think. I think you start, I mean, part of the fun of jiu-jitsu is as you get better and better, you have certain people you go with, you have these puzzles that you've figured out, that you're playing very specific details, you're working out, you're trying to improve your main like techniques and so on. But yeah, just the percentage of time you spend being submitted or being, or trying, even going against like lower ranks, trying to escape basic submissions is low. I, I don't know if that's true for most people. Probably is, right? Most people have very bad defense. Yeah. Because they don't allow themselves to be there because, I mean, who wants to get tapped? Because you will. Until you, you know, until you work on your defense, of course you're going to get tapped. Or, you know, you're not going to escape. You're going to struggle to escape. So people, they don't want to be there. I regret it most because of the effect it clearly had on how I competed. It it was it was clear that my competition was was constantly driven by conservative thinking, like don't take risks. I think because of a weak defense, honestly, and I think uh, a lot of the, any of the fear, like uh, for example, exhaustion was accompanied by fear because of weak defense. I think yeah. if I were to psychoanalyze myself, <laughs> and I re I regretted it, I regretted a lot. Um, but speaking of which. I don't think anyone's ever submitted you in competition. So you're. <laughs> well, uh, well, I was a juvenile, yes. <laughs> yes. So, so when you were a young person, yeah, does that still haunt you? <laughs> uh, no. It's first I was winning that fight by a large, 
I mean, I think by six points or four, something like that. But I was like, I was done. Don't remember it though, huh? And by the details. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's funny. Yeah. And you ever he, beat him again? He you never competed him? again. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, whoever you are, please uh, let's let's do a podcast yeah, again. We we'll talk I shit about Hodger the whole time. <laughs> uh, no, but wh what do you attribute to that too? You're saying you're confident. You're confident that the top of the world, the number one Buchesha, would not submit you. Um, so where's that confidence grounded and what do you attribute the fact that nobody was able to submit you? First, it comes from training. You know, I train a lot bad position. Like my defense is good because I've tr I practice over and over again. That as much as I practice all my offensive position. So it's, you know, you have to train both equally. It's not just being a good position. You have to be in bad. So I think that's a very strong part of my game. You know, to, to be a complete fighter, you know, at least a complete martial artist, you have to be good in every single position, every single one. Those are that you're not, you have a weakness. So it's, you know, to be complete, you should have no weakness. So that was always my, you know, I was always very uh, particular on that, like it's where my weakness, where am I, where I don't feel good at it. If you put me in a position where I struggle, how to escape, how to get out. Everything, any submission locked, penny position, you know, back mount, everything. It doesn't matter which position I have. I practice over and over again so that when I, if I get there in a fighting situation, I will know how to get out. At least I'll have a direction, you know, I will know this is my way out. Do you practice both escaping the bad position and Always. The, the transition? into the bad position, avoiding it. <laughs> because that's how it happens. You know, jiu-jitsu, you start in a neutral position. No, the transition then it then becomes the, the fight itself. It's, it's being there is the most important. It's when you're there, then you have to know how to get out. That That's your weakness. How, uh, it, uh, stopping the person getting there is something different. So they're two different things. It's you, it's you, either you practice one or the other. So, but both are important, I guess. Yeah, but the, the stopping the person is easier to yeah. practice because that comes naturally yeah. in training. Yeah. What was uh, the actual process? Like, what was your biggest weakness throughout your, like, just rem remembering what was annoying to you to figure out? Uh, I mean, side control is always, uh, is always bottom of side control. Bottom. It's regardless how much you, tr you, you, you practice, it's not ever easy. You'll never be easy. But it's so annoying. It's it makes annoying. no sense. Yeah, someone pins you down, doesn't want to move much, is a big and strong guy, regardless of who, it's not going to be easy to escape. So some situations are just hard. That must be the, sorry to interrupt, I'm interrupting Haji Gracie in discussing <laughs> <laughs> But you just made me realize, if you're really good, if you're, if you're going against like the perfect jiu-jitsu competitor, Probably side control might be one of the hardest positions to Is it the hardest position to escape? It's one of them. If the person doesn't want to progress, it's just right. concerned about so the pinning. Yeah. Yeah. Like the it's best not. pinners in the world. I mean, partially because I've just seen judo people that know yeah. how to pin. Yeah. They, they go escape their side control is a nightmare. Yeah. It's I, a nightmare. <laughs> doesn't matter how much you practice. Yeah. It's a nightmare. And it's also just frustrating. Yeah. Uh, I think, I guess it is also frustrating because a lot of people in that position will be about maintaining control, not progressing. Yeah. 
And usually people, when they're a mount in a back control, are usually trying to yeah. progress towards a submission, which opens up opportunities for escape. Yeah. So what's the actual process of just time and time again, putting yourself in side con bottom of side yeah. control? Yeah, over and over again, starting there, escape, get back, escape, get back. If you mount you, get back. Any situation outside that, stop, start again, stop, start again. And it has to be, I'll say five minutes, because it's the repetition that will teach you. You know, if you train like three minutes on top, you have time to, you know, one thing, and then time out. It's the repetition that over and over again, that, you know, when you try the same move over and over again, then you'll see what can go wrong. And is it understanding the details of the movement or actually doing the movement and feeling it? It's, it's both. First, you have to understand the movement and then practice. But most important thing is defense. Escape coming second. Because, if, you know, he's attacking you. The one thing is if he's not trying to submit you, but the other one, if it is. Let's say if it's a person is very good, has a very good attack. The, the first thing is defense. Not just escape. And expose yourself to an even worse position. Because that is, 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 is very risky. When you're trying to escape, you'll always expose yourself to a worse position. So avoiding that, it's, you know, first is defense, not getting caught. And then when you're escaping, don't be in a worse position. <laughs> so defense uh, in jiu-jitsu when you're wearing a gi, what does defense entail? Is it mostly grips? Is it mostly the positioning of your hips and legs? It's, 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 it's everything together because it's a whole body movement. It's, you know, it's a constantly moving your, your arms, legs, body. It's, it, they, they, you know, they, they have to, everything works together. Going back to the mind of that guy, uh, so confident, no fear at this point. Is there a bit of ego in there too? Yes, like like I say, no, I'm not gonna say I'm fear I'm fearless. Of course, this concerns that fight. I would have to say was probably the fight that I got nervous the most walking in because I knew what that meant. That fight. They mean everything for me. All my legacy was on the line because if I lost that fight, I would forever be number two. Yeah. Forever. And I mean, Bushesha is, is a great, great guy, great competitor. Jiu-Jitsu is very good, but I'm better than him. I knew that. It's but like, he's competing nonstop at that no, point. No. He's, he's, a, he's a great competitor, you know, taking nothing out of him. He's super tough. Very, very tough. Very good. It's probably the best competitor in jiu-jitsu. He won 13 times the world championship. I won 10. So as a competitor, you know, he has more titles than I do. So, but in terms of, you know, analyzing the game, I consider technically better than him. So knowing all that, everything that I build, all my legacy, it's if I all lose riding on this match, if I lose this fight, I'm forever number two. <laughs> and none I, of that is going going through your mind. That I, no, I knew. I mean, it's not at that moment that I I already knew that. I remember just before you know I'm, the, the curtains open, I'm standing and before they call my name, and I mean my legs were like, <laughs> I feel the adrenaline kick in on my legs, and I'm like. You know, I'm hitting the legs. I'm like, wake up! You know, yeah. get off, get the adrenaline off me. You know, it's, so it's it was it was intense. It was intense. 
And this was in Rio. And that was in Rio. So my hometown. So this is Huge I mean and, and you know, Rio is is not exactly known for its calmness <laughs> in its fans. So this is like well, wherever they hosted the Olympics the year before. Yeah. So this is like I mean, this like the whole basically martial arts community is watching, watching this. That fight. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, is there some? Uh, was Hanzo there? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he was there. So people are just. I mean, there's a tension. It's also. I mean, I don't know if you felt that in part, but you're also fighting for the Gracie name. Yeah, <laughs> in the in our hometown, the greatest where the Gracie really started. Gracie competitor <laughs> of all time, arguably, <laughs> in the hometown. Yeah, I mean, okay. <laughs> All my family, my best friends, my friends, everybody watching, everybody there. There was a lot of pressure, a lot. So, and then, w were you thinking that you would be able to submit him? No, it's at that point. Like, I don't predict how the fight will go. That I never did because it is unpredictable. It's I never try to set any strategy for any fight. I think, oh, okay, that I did, but. That was the only time that I set any strategy into a fight. There was a 15 minutes fight there. And for I said, first five minutes, I'm gonna play defense. He's bigger, stronger, younger. I don't wanna play his game. And I know he comes in very fast. Every single fight he had, you know, he comes very aggressive. So my strategy walk into the fight, I say five minutes, I'm gonna play defense. I'm not gonna try to attack. I'm not gonna try to match his pace. I already expected, you know, maybe I'm going to start losing the fight because, you know, if he comes in, there's a risk of me maybe getting taken down, you know, or something happened. I'm like, I'm going to stick to the game plan. Five minutes, I'm going to start picking up the pace because then it's 10 minutes to go, which 10 minutes is a long fight. So I don't need to start fast, but I'm going to start being more aggressive and then, you know, try to take him down or pull guard, you know. But by then, I'm like, that's as far as strategy goes. <laughs> so no specific uh, stay on the feet. No. Were you comfortable being both bottom and top in this? Yeah, strategically, yeah, I'm, I'm always comfortable being bottom or top. I prefer to be on top because being in the bottom, the person on top dictates the pace of the fight because he's on top over you. So I always prefer to be on top because I can dictate the pace. I can implement my own pace, and being the bottom, they can slow me down. So it's harder. So. If I can choose, I will always be on top. But I think by then I was like, it's, you know, five minutes hit it. I'm like, he's pretty big and strong. I'm going to spend a lot of energy taking him down. I forgot. <laughs> how, did it, how did it feel? So here you're stepping in. By the way, Puzzle Mass, this is old school, as old school as it gets. So calm and relaxed here. For people just listening, we're watching yeah. the early minutes of the match. Yeah. So just feeling it out. He seems pretty calm too. He must be nervous too. I wonder how, did no, you ever talk to him? You guys are friends. Yeah, yeah, how, we're friends. Uh, how, did he ever say how nervous he was? No, we never spoke about that fight. No? No. <laughs> <laughs> he probably lays uh, late at night thinking about it. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> that, that SOB. Yeah. I mean, so you see the first five minutes, you know, he kept, I knew what he was going to do in my study, his game. His stand-up is most basic is basic in takedowns, uh, leg attacks, double legs. So he goes single or double, and he charges in. 
that is pretty much his stand up game. So you were trying you get you get a grip. Yeah, that we got penalized. So do you like to uh use the do you like to post with your left? You have a right foot forward usually. You're a righty, right? I'm righty. But I know he wants my leg. So I'm 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 playing my stance just because of his game. Oh you know, all my grips are that the first five minutes was to kind of try to neutralize his attacks. So he wants to get your left leg. Yeah. Uh, yeah, right there. Yeah. So how hard is that to stop that? I um, mean, he felt pretty strong coming <laughs> in. <laughs> so I'm, you know, pushing the head down, trying to play with his balance. Yeah. Wow. If if you if you see it, there was a pause. Go back there. He charged in. There's a pause. Me standing in front of him. Yeah, I did that on purpose. What do you mean? Just to just in front of him because you know he tried. Yeah, and I'm like, you fail. I'm here. <laughs> There's a okay. So you could feel the frustration. I could feel his frustration. His frustration not be able to take me down. Okay. So now. And this is just psychological battle. So and you see me walking straight into the middle of the mat, and he's circling out. Yeah. See, I'm going very slow, recovering. And he's computing like shit. Yeah. Okay. So because he just made a you know effort, tried to take me down. He needs to recover. And I mean, you you need to recover. The other guys there waiting for you. Yeah. And do I do I go for another takedown? Because th this one failed. Yeah. Do I need to recalculate the strategy? Yeah, and he kept trying over and over again and keep failing. I think that frustrated him a lot on that fight. I felt I felt him kind of slowing down suddenly because he was getting nowhere. So we're five minutes in. Yeah, he keeps so you never got that takedown in the in the early No. Let's see. So at this point, do you pull guard? Yeah, okay. So that's when I felt like he's he's he mentally he's he's not he's worried now. Did you try to pull close guard here? No, I knew he was going to bring Danny in. Okay, because so that's I, the defense against pulling close guard. Yeah, but I like that. What do you? I like people p bringing Danny between my legs because see, I'm going to close my guard even with his leg in. Okay, he is, he's, he's stopping the, well, this is, this is awkward, but because I guess. Because I, I was holding his arm, that's why he felt he had no, no hand to post. Got it. But still, it puts a leg in, yeah. but you're able to close your guard yeah. around. Even, so you're okay with that? I, that? I do that really well. I sweep people from that position a lot. What's the sweep? I get just, it just pushed. Okay. It's just a push. Like to your left side? Yeah. Okay. Because he has no. Oh, it's almost like a, you mean you're basically around his back a little bit. Yeah. Like and drag he knew that, like I swept a lot of people with that sweep. So you, you see he kept leaning to his left, to my right. Yeah. So I want to push them to my yeah. left. So you see him leaning over to my right a lot. What's but, the right answer for him to like roll or something? No, I mean, he's stuck. He does not really, he's, he's stuck yeah. there. Grips. But the one thing he did, he kept off me completely. See that he's leaning yes, yeah. too, like he's too afraid of my attack now, yep. because he that you know he should lean on me. Yep. You know you, you should bring the fight to me. So when I felt him, you know, like I I knew he was like he's too worried about my attacks now. Oh yeah, that's right. So he can't 
Yeah. If he like comes back to the center, he yeah. has no... Like, so he's not engaging now. At that time, he's 100% just defending. So I felt that. I'm like, he's, he doesn't want to engage. And he's looking. I knew at that point he wants my foot because our first fight, I had this, like, the same position. I wasn't holding his arm, and he went to attack my foot, mm -hmm. which he did. You know, he got into Like a attack. toe hold or yeah. what? Okay. Yeah. So I knew he's looking at my foot. Which foot? Sorry, the left, uh, your uh, right my foot? Right, yeah, my right foot. Okay. And so but I'm how holding you his you're arm. hiding it? I'm oh, holding his it. arm. And now you're going to the so, back as an yeah. arm drag type of thing. So the moment that I came off, now I'm, he, I'm holding his arm so he cannot come up. Yeah. So, he's, you know, I'm holding his left arm so he cannot post a hand on the floor and come up. And he's holding your right to try yeah. to get you, yeah, <laughs> basically to prevent you from at attacking. Yeah. Oh, that's an interesting. And he rolls. Yeah, he tried to, he tried to get me off balance. So see, now I'm switching. I switched the grip on his arm so I can free my left arm. Can I ask you a question? Like, yeah. uh, was there a chance he sweeps you here? I mean, there's always a chance, but very like hard. That. Yeah, but see, my left arm is free. Oh, so you can post. Yeah. Why was your left arm free? Oh, because you were using it to got yeah. it, got it. Okay. And so, now. I tried the hook. Now you will see. You still got your arm. When, when, yeah, but when I knew he's, he's panicking because he did a move that he completely opened himself up. Like I'm holding his left arm. So by holding the arm, he's, that prevents him from defending the hook on that mm -hmm. side because his arm is being held across. So the arm cannot block the hook. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the, 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 the hook the, with your left leg? Yeah. Okay. So you see when he come up, but I would say, I mean, that's my guess, but Bushish is, he's, he's a big guy. You know, he was like 110 kilos, 112, something like that. Which is? 245. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So. What were the, you at the time? Uh, Less? 220. Yeah. 220. <laughs> a a 220 nice slim 100 kilo. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, he's. His defense are not amazing. He's good, but you know he's not known to have amazing defense. So he, by being the big guy in the room when you train, you used to get out of situations because of your size. You shake people off. You know it's you, it's because of your size. You shake them off. You get off some bad positions. You can. I mean, I could feel in the first fight. I'm side control. You know, suddenly he explode out. So you know, you I've, I've seen him doing that a few of his fights. No. And not in the most technical way, just I'm getting out. Mm -hmm. And he did because of his size. So, and he did the same thing. Like he tried to stood up when I'm on his back. He completely opened up the hooks. You will see the next move, his head gonna come up and he's gonna try to get off the floor. So basically come up, shake you off kind and of strategy. there was no defense for the hooks. I put both hooks in straight away. Oh, his arm is... Yeah, I'm, I'm off balance. Yeah, see? that he, I didn't bring him up. He came up. Yeah. And now, I'm attacking his neck, and he's worried about the hooks. That's fatal mistake. That's like defense always come first. Remember what I just said now? Yeah. Defense first, cape second. So he's not worried more about the points than his neck. So it was a, like a, a, a progression of mistakes. That's why I think he did, he got frustrated when he couldn't take me down, yeah. and then when I pull guard, he was he was he was frustrated that the fight wasn't going his way, 
you know, he's he's very good about taking down. He tried over and over again for five minutes. And here he was frustrated about the hooks. So yeah. he's like, it's almost like the frustration thinks like, no, 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 these hooks shouldn't be yeah. here. Like I pull guard on the grips that I want. Mm -hmm. He's not comfortable inside my guard. He's not in a position that he wants to be. He's over leaning to his left, you know, to, 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 to not, he's not engaging or trying to pass. Mm -hmm. He's trying to get the foot, but his arm is trapped. He's going to get nowhere. And then when I swept him, suddenly his words start collapsing. You know, he couldn't take me down. I pulled guard, I'm swept in. He tried to roll me over. No, it didn't get me anywhere. The first movement that he tried to escape, I'm on his back. I mean, now he's lost. Yeah. That, if you just go back to him standing up. See, both hook goes in, no defense. Like there was nothing on the way of those hooks. Because he tried to come as up. As he's coming up, you're you're high enough on him to where the weight was just probably immense. It just felt too yeah. heavy. I mean, and you got you already got you already you already going for the choke. Yeah, of course, <laughs> <laughs> there's no time to lose. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah. So you're not like worried. I'm going to get shaken off. You're going for the choke. No, okay, I'm you on got your back. right there's hand. There's no shaking me off. I'm on your back now. <laughs> <laughs> we're in this together okay. <laughs> and your your right hand is opening up the lapel my right hand is holding his arm i'm oh. still holding the oh, sleeve oh sorry yeah Look like you're holding the sleeve but I'm holding the sleeve and i'm already going for the neck because it's timing at which point do you let go of the sleeve and open up help with the lapel or do you not need it uh, no I, I did that but first i want to try to make a grip like then i need to establish control before i let go of his arm got it so I kept holding that a bit longer. And then when I fell, okay, I have a good control over the back, then I let go. Do you, okay, so you have like a light grip on his lapel, but you're thinking you no, need that. I need to adjust that. You need to adjust yeah, that. Yeah, but you're like holding it there and you're thinking, okay, at some point I need to adjust All, all I need, all I want is to get under his chin. Then I know it's, it's, it's I mean, it's now I can go for it. Because if it's over, there's no choke, right? I need, the wrist needs to be under. Can you I, choke Buchecha no, over the... No, I can't. That's just not right. Okay. Anyway, it's not right or it doesn't work? It, it both. It's not right and it doesn't work. I mean, would you tap to choke on your chin? No, it's just pressure. I've, you, you hurt, but it's not going to choke you out. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not... Let me argue this. I love this. Arguing with Roger Gracie about <laughs> chokes. This is great. Okay. Like clock choke. Is, it was always interesting to me because in judo, it's illegal to have the gi around them face and so it was kind of liberating for me to be allowed to have a gear on the face <laughs> no it's just liberating <laughs> no that you don't have to worry about it like yeah. of course it's more effective to go under the chin but i'm surprised just because the amount of pressure like it's all about how much you can take it you can take pressure. a lot but it feels like no it doesn't choke. feel comfortable i mean sometimes on your mouth it cuts your mouth now you're bleeding it feels horrible no but it feels it, that's not the feeling the feeling it might not be a choke but the feeling like like it's a pressure that everything's just closing in but, but it doesn't take you anywhere like you're not gonna go to sleep. You might not go to sleep. So it's just pressure. Yes. Yeah. So pressure, it hurts, it's uncomfortable, but it, it it's not gonna break your face and it's not gonna put you to sleep. So if I don't get the neck, I don't go for the kill. Okay. I'm like, I'm I'm holding the, the, the his collar. Mm -hmm. I, you know, my, my wrist is almost under. It's, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to kind of dig in. Got it. 
If if I can't dig in, then I would adjust the call. But first, I need to dig in. I dig in first, then adjust. Yeah. But can you do all that with one hand or no? I did. So you can tighten the choke with just one hand? No. I, I need the second one to open the lapel. To open the lapel. Yeah. But you're like digging in with one no, hand. I'm digging in under the chin. Yeah, under the chin. Under is under. Now I need to go deeper. But that, the going deeper requires a second hand. It does. Okay. It does. And but that requires you letting go of the other hand. Yeah, I have to let go eventually. Yeah. Uh, see. All right. Yeah. Well, that's over. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm already under his. Like the first hand got under the chin. Mm -hmm. Do you need the uh, hand on the second lapel? Yeah, of course. Otherwise, he turns and he's out. That's the control of the turning versus the tightening of the choke. Yeah, it does both. It, it helps tighten the the collar and stop the person rolling out. Were you feeling pretty good about this position? Yes. <laughs> I, <would. laughs> I just felt it's getting tighter, 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 because it wasn't super tight from the beginning. It wasn't like the perfect choke. So we're still, I mean, I knew it was like it's very close to the end, but you know, it was, I still need to adjust. There was still the risk of maybe he escaping. Is it possible for his head to slip out? Yeah, it's possible, yes. But I'm closing that gap. Yeah. And here. What, what did that feel like? Relief? Relief. Like, awesome. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody on Reddit asked, ask him about the cross grip he used to sweep, followed with a genius grip switch when Buchesha was inverted. Did you use a cross grip when you sweeped? Did you? I sweep guess the cross grip in the arm. That must be it. Oh, that's the cross yeah. grip. Okay. Uh, what's the genius behind that? Or was that just the, <laughs> uh, do you like that kind of that kind of grip? Yeah, because I always like close guard and no one wants to be in anyone's close guard, right? It's open guard is the step to pass. So everybody, when you try to close the guard, they bring the knee in in the middle. Like if, you, if, if you're not standing, if you're lower on the ground and the open guard, if you're close to me, you need that knee between. So it's a must. That's when I start developing the attack. You know, I, I managed to have long legs to close my legs around people even with that. And then I just developed that sweep. When did you start developing that? Like I, uh, I don't remember when, but I would say before black belt. Okay, so your answer to that is not to figure out how to prevent them from putting the knee in. Is there an answer to that? No. The good guys will always no, you try can't to get the knee remove the leg out of the way. That's not possible. Well, maybe off balance them enough to no, where it's not. No. Okay. I mean, it, you, you can try, but like it's, it's hard. If you can off balance, you'll sweep them. All right. So that knee's going to, so you're yeah. going to have to solve that. That's a full part. sweep. Yeah. Because yeah. that's is, is the, is extremely common to have that. I mean, I if, if I'm on your guard, open guard, you know, if you have your legs, if, if I'm between both of your legs in the open guard, my knee will be between your legs because it, it's a must. My knee cannot be on the floor. Since Hanzo was there, what did he tell you before? I think just motivate you. I think that's Hanzo always did that fantastically well to motivate me. Like before in fight a match, I think that, you know, the confidence, you know, his, you know, his energy being around you. It's, I think that's the, is, is, is the great thing to have hands on your corner. It's, it's the motivation that he gives you. What did you learn about jiu-jitsu in life from Hanzo Gracie? 
we got to hang out with him in, in Vegas a little bit. He's a character. Yeah. He's one of the uh, historic coaches and jiu-jitsu competitors, but also personalities in the martial arts world, yeah. in, in the world in general. There's very few like him. Hans is a fantastic person. It's, it's you know, what I've learned most from him is like it's, you know, you can take any challenge. It's, you know, it doesn't matter when, where, what, you know, who. It's, you know, you have to be ready. And, you know, with that war spirit that he has, he's, you know, he always took any challenge, ready or not ready. <laughs> Was it you that said it or he said it where uh, not until you go in, uh, you know, to do something difficult, do you discover the strength that you have? So like, like if you really think about it, you might think that you don't, you're not good enough, you don't have the strength to take on something difficult. I fully agree. I think we are measured not when we're on the strongest, but when we are on the weakest. That's when we truly measure ourselves, our character, who we are, not when we're in a position of power, when we're in a position of weakness. Have you surprised yourself? Like how damn good you are? Like, <laughs> is this is this really how good I am in this situation? Where in retrospect, you might think, how the hell was I able to accomplish this? Not how good I am because otherwise I wouldn't be there. <laughs> so, you know, being there in the first place, it's it's already not a great thing. But I say, you know, I've, every single time I found myself there, I was super proud that I've never cracked. Like I've never gave up ever, any second, any fight, never. Never been broken in competition. Never. Even, it's not about winning or losing, it's about you giving up. I've never doubted myself. I always fought to the very end, always. That I'm most proud of. Because there was moments, you know, it's you're in a terrible position, you know, mainly like there was moments that I was super tired, but like exhaustive tired when you know, it was easy to give up. Like I had nothing more to give. But I pushed. I took energy out of my soul. I would yeah. have to say because when my body had zero, my, my you know my spirit, my soul, pull it out. Is that in part just not allowing yourself to have um, to have to ever ever quit? Yeah. I have um, one other thing I regret. I remember like a blue belt match. I remember. It. I'm not gonna say who it was against, <laughs> but uh, I remember just being extremely exhausted and um, just constantly fighting. A guy was really good mount, really good guard passing. And I just remember um, him passing my guard eventually. So it was just like a finals of one of the IBJJF tournaments. And then right away going to mount and just, I don't know. I it was the the level of frustration. I mean, I quit at that point. So I remember that still. Like I, it's not about losing, winning or losing. But I just remember I, I was like, like I was like teary eyed, frustrated. And then I knew there was a lot of fights still left even in there somewhere, and I I, I quit. And I regret that to this day. Because yeah. uh, I think the reason I regret that is because it gave me an option to to now quit in every other aspect of life. Like. Yeah. That this is an option. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> yeah, it teaches you. You know, it makes us stronger. It's I like think you it said, made you stronger. 
Uh, yeah, it makes you stronger that you did that to learn that don't do that again. Um, but still, like you said, just going to sleep in training, I, I do think it made me weaker. It did make me weaker in the rest of my life too. That Those, you know, I've quit a few times in my life on small things and you realize, okay, it's not that big of a deal. It's fine. Like, who cares? <laughs> um, but that, what you learn over time is that voice always comes there. Like, uh, uh, obviously, maybe it does for you too, at the, even at the highest level of like, it's not that big of a deal. Like, it's okay to quit here. <laughs> <laughs> like, it makes sense. Everybody would yeah. understand. Um you know, in some sense, like you're, uh, you know, many people would say you're past your prime in this match with the Puchesha. Like, it makes sense. You've been focusing on MMA. Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> makes sense to lose. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. That That's a weird voice. And in some sense, uh, it's that voice and a voice that says, like, why are you doing this? Like, this is silly. It doesn't make any sense. Just, just stop. Just stop. Just stop. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And uh, shutting that voice down and never allowing yourself to quit. That's a really powerful thing. Like everybody I've met, everybody that's successful. Um, yeah, down to the, the, even engineers, CEOs, Elon Musk, just never quitting. Like when everybody around you says quit, never quitting. It's weird. I don't know what that is. It might be genetic. <laughs> it, it might be like using the stubbornness to just never allow yourself to... Um, develop that, so basically developing a callousness to that voice that tries to tell you to quit. You never quit, huh? What would you attribute that to? It's like how much you want to get to the destination you chose. Like, you know, it's how badly you want to get there. It's if you quit, you're never going to get there. And you always wanted to. I always wanted to. Is there some thing you remember from that match, some things that happened before and after that stand out to you? Just since in Rio. Yeah, there was an interview, you know, like prior to the fight, you know, there was a big fight. We were doing like media every day before we were meeting, you know, me and him, we were meeting for media. And it's like five days before, you know, five, six days before, I'm quite chatty. It's, you know, the closer we get to the fight, the more focus I get, the less I talk, stop joke around playing you know with people but i remember i think it was maybe three or four days before we were doing an interview together i think, I think my cousin kira was there she was doing one of the interviews with us and i, I don't remember exactly what we were talking about but i just remember we we're talking about the fight of course and then it was you know we we're standing beside each other and i'm like and then i you know suddenly i jump in and grab him by the neck mm -hmm. I say, well, I'm going to tap you by the neck. And then he's like, you know, very shy. Yeah. And then I let go. I say, no, I'm going to tap you by the arm. <laughs> and I could feel he was like, he wasn't comf comfortable, you know, with being there. It was, you know, me saying that I'm going to tap him out. There was like, I was so relaxed, joking about it. But I'm joking that I'm going to tap him out in a fight that we're going to have in four days time. And yeah, I felt he was like not comfortable at all. Do you think you got in his head a little bit? Yeah, I did. It gave I you think. a little bit of confidence? Yeah. yeah. You said that jiu-jitsu is a reflection of your personality. So both your jiu-jitsu and your personality, there's a calmness. What is that? Why are you so calm? Is there in like an ocean underneath that's boiling? <laughs> is this developed or is this your personality? Are you basically leveraging who you are already to to develop a game around the jiu-jitsu or did, did jiu-jitsu make you calm? 
I think both. I, I was always very calm since I was a kid, you know, since very young. I was never very, you know, fiery person. So that is a reflection. You know, you reflected on my jujitsu, my life, on my fights, the way I fight. So it's a direct influence of my personality. And I think it's also in the day, you know, you develop the more the more you practice, you know, the more you fight. It's like, it, you know, you don't want to get nervous. You don't want that adrenaline in. So you just learn how to shut that off from your mind. So the less I thought about it, you know, it's like how many times I fought, you know, let's say the week before the fight, that's when you start more, when you're concerned the most, because now it's getting very close. Before it's just far away, you know, it's it's normal to think of the tournament, you get a bit nervous, but it goes away quick. Mm -hmm. But the fight, you know, the week before, now you're constantly thinking of that day. And every time you think, adrenaline pumps in, your heart accelerates, you know, it doesn't, you know, it makes it, it's like, why am I feeling this? What difference will it make? So you kind of, you're shutting that thought out of your mind because you don't want to feel the adrenaline, your heart accelerating. It's not going to add you anything. So it's, you know, it's the practice also that I think I, it helped me to shut that off my mind. Has that helped you in regular life? Yeah, of course. It's, you know, it's suddenly when you, going to any any situation that might be stressful, you know, like an important meeting, you no know, super whatever it is. It's like how much would you worry about that before? Worry is not gonna help you anywhere. It's the opposite. Just gonna make you more nervous, your heart will accelerate, your ability to think clearly is gonna be damaged by that. So it's like the more calm, the more relaxed you are, the better you can think of. Do you ever get angry? Yeah. Like in traffic, <laughs> do you ever do you ever get like not calm, just like you're screaming? Not not in a screaming, no. But just angry. Yeah. But the, the, what does the angry look like? Is it still calm? <laughs> yeah, like you know, a few seconds of complaining, but then it goes away. Have you ever like thrown a cell phone at a wall or something like no. that? I'm angry. <laughs> just that. Just no, that. I never get that angry. Because <laughs> that's just silly. It's like it's it it's if if I would have done that. I would not be able to control my emotions prior to a fight. That would be a yeah, so reflection. Like, yeah. Letting yourself lose. Yeah. Uh, and losing control, control that, that will reflect other times. Do you think it has uh, make in part made you more emotionally closed off from the world? Like you're, you're, it's harder for you to be vulnerable to others? Probably. Yeah, but I, I heard that a few times. <laughs> that I'm emotionally close. Mm -hmm. It's... Maybe that I think that influenced it. Yeah. Have you ever cried in a movie? Yeah. For not for many years, but for I think maybe I'm getting older. Do you remember the movie? <laughs> Something no, that's a silly movie. I mean it's no, no I mean Is it the notebook? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I would say the last few years I've been crying more than before for some reason. I don't know why. Like silly movies, like nothing suddenly brings tears to my eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've already, I already just having met you and interacted with you, I can see that you're kind of opening your heart and mind to the world. You could, you could see like, here's this historically great athlete. Now, like the wars have been fought and you're now like waking yeah. up to the world. It's, it's yeah. cool to see. Probably I'm bringing my guard down now. I don't have to yeah. keep yeah. it up all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you can even do some podcasts. Um, you said you watch like movies beforehand sometimes. Mentioned Braveheart. 
What were you doing? Did you watch something beforehand, like the day before? I used to, yeah. I, there was like, I think Braveheart and uh, Gladiator. I mean, there's a few others that I've always watched the day before. Because the day before, I used to do nothing. Mm -hmm. yeah, I just want to be at home, in bed, watching TV, like saving, you know, energy. Stretching by myself. So it's like, it's, I just want to save energy. I don't waste my energy going out, going around. So, you know, it's, those are the movies that I always like to watch. Kind of try to bring some, you know, hyper yeah. excitement. It's like, you know, I'm getting ready to war tomorrow. So I'm like, let me watch some movies that like brought that, you know, some that warrior spirit yeah. into me. Yeah, what is that about human nature? Braveheart, I love yeah. even more. Should you put your life on the line for a thing that matters or run away just so you can live? It's like... Running, you may live, but like years from now, when you look back at this moment, uh, would you trade all the days yeah. just to come back and, to this moment? And tell the English. <laughs> <laughs> you could take our lives, but you but can't take, take our, our freedom. freedom. <laughs> I mean, oh man, what is that about human nature? Um, is there some aspect of like the glory you were able to achieve being more important than anything else? There's some aspect of that that that's that's greatness, you know. Yeah, I never pursue glory, so it's it just came, you know. It is it, it came with it, but that was never my goal. I never care for glory. Were you able to experience like, like I'm at the height of this thing? Whatever whatever humanity is able to achieve in various things, holy shit, I'm I've, flying. I felt like. I'm, 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 no one can touch me. I can destroy people. Yeah. Prolonged periods of time or just uh, momentarily? I I always knew, you know, from bef before I got to a black belt, that like I, I, you know, it's I can be great because my, pro you know, I used to train with the best in the world. I used to, you know, for many years and I used to see my progression with and everybody else. So I, I knew I was getting somewhere. I knew I could be the best, and that was that was always my goal since very very young. And I always believed that I could be, and that over the years that kept telling me over and over again because I'm getting better and better, faster than everybody else. So it's I just need to carry on with what I'm doing. But I think you've said that you wanted to, and maybe you thought you could be the greatest of all time like at the very beginning, like when you sucked. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah not not the greatest of all time because I, mean, I never really thought about that, but I thought I'm gonna be the best in the world when I sucked, when I sucked. So, okay, so what is that, uh, what is that, like that self-belief? Is there a component to that self-belief being a prerequisite? It's, it's difficult to say because that was a decision, I think. like. Why did I believe I could be? I I can't tell you that because I don't know. But you well, think you decided to? Be I decided that. to be. I decided to be, and I believed I could. You think there was like a day somewhere when you were young where you're like, yeah. huh? You're sitting on a couch eating Cheetos. <laughs> I don't think it was that, a day like a moment, because for many years is I wasn't really training much as a child. Uh, you know, I've done a bit of, I used to train and then stop, done a bit of judo, never stay away from it much, but 
until, you know, like, like from 10 to 14. I barely trained jujitsu much. I used to, there was no Gracie school near where I used to live. And I was doing, there was a jujitsu, a judo school. I used to go twice a week. I went to a jujitsu tournament. I lost in five seconds, left crying. <laughs> the guy, he pulled me in five seconds. Anyway, so when I was 14, I went to the south of Brazil to see my uncle Helium to spend like, summer holidays. I was there for like four weeks, I think. And I, when I got there, my cousin Hollis was living with him. Hollis, like, bigger than me. It was, I think, it's four years, four years older. So I was 14. He was already 18, 17, 18. Purple belt competitor. And I think that was the first time in my life that I felt what it mean, what it meant to be a Gracie in terms of having a school, teaching, training, you know, living that, you know, jujitsu lifestyle, what a Gracie mean to be. And I've just, I've loved that. I was out of shape. My uncle was like, you know, was incentivizing me to lose weight, to train, but you're not training. Why? You know, it's like, you've got a shape, you need to diet. So I used, I used to run every day. I was eating super well. I start, you know, I start that when I start changing. So when I go back to Rio, I was super motivated to follow up, carry on. And he, you know, he invited me to go back there to live with him. But I couldn't, it was too soon in the, to change schools and everything. My mom said, no, but maybe next year, if you want to go, you can. So I kept that in my mind. Next year, I, I moved to the South to live with him. I was 15. And it was him, my uncle Helion, and my uncle Crawling. They both used to live very close to each other. They used to have their own schools close to each other. So I was with both. And I stayed there for almost a year. I, mean, I was the youngest in the academy. There was some, you know, blue, purple bells, normal guys, but they're already competing, training ahead of me. And I just joined the group of training. I didn't compete while I was there because there was no competition that then. And I wasn't really ready, but it's not about competing. It's more about the training. And I started training every day, start improving. And year after that, when I came back to Rio, I was already on a mission. I was like, I love this. I'm just carrying on training every day with my uncle Carlos, Carlos Gracie Jr., Gracie Barra. And the when I got there, I was training a little bit there before, but I just 14, 15. But when I got there, there was a, you know, there was one of that was one of the most competitive, one of the biggest jujitsu schools at the time. There were so many high-level world champions, competitors in every single belt. Mm-hmm. And so and I've kind of joined in with that. And I've carried on, I don't remember when, but I remember, you know, looking and saying, I'm going to be the best in the world. But I used to be, I was at the bottom <laughs> of the stairs, you know, no one really believed me. I didn't shout, you know, to, to disguise, but, you know, I told a few people, I'm like, I'm going to be the best. And that's, I think, I, I was just losing, but I've never, ever doubt, I've never diverged from that mission, I would say. Did anyone believe you when you said you could nope. be great? Nobody. Did it matter? Didn't matter. I don't care. I don't need even people that like love you. Everybody. They... My mom, my dad. I mean, no one thought. No one in my family thought I was gonna be here today. Nobody. Because I just started late. You know, I've, I've never had any start that people. Oh, that kid's gonna be really good. Yeah. No, I was a chubby kid that didn't barely train. I mean, people used to look at me, he's just another Gracie, there's, you know, one more. 
what do you learn from that? Do you think most people lose that self-belief? They quit when everyone around them doesn't believe? Yeah. I think if if those that need approval, yes. I see you shouldn't have approval. I never need approval from anyone. I don't care if you believe me or not, if you not my problem. It's tough. It's tough. I don't need approval, but you're surrounded by people older, wiser, better than you, and they're kind of directly or indirectly saying you stop being silly kid. No, no one ever told me that because I, I is not that was not something that I used to say all the time. I maybe say it just very, very few times. I just hold. You know, maybe that's the secret. It's not of course, safe. I mean, if you start shouting, then you're just being silly. Then it's not what you really want. Then you're saying that for other reasons. If you say it over and over again. Because you shouldn't. I mean, that's why. Well, I'll, to push back, one of the reasons you might want to say it is to find the right people that believe in you. Yeah, but no, if you say over and over again, yeah. then it's just, then you're just bragging. Sure. Because one thing is to say it, but the other one is to do it. Yeah. So it's, you know, you say it once or very few times, but now you have to do it. Saying is not helping you get in there. Was there sacrifices you had to make? Everything, everything. That was my priority in life. Everything was secondary. Like social life, yeah. career paths, yeah. all everything. This. And as from 14, 15, 16, as you get better and better and better and better, it was just becoming sharper, the focus on yeah. this thing. Yeah, it's just over and over again, over and over again. It's, you know, it's just training, training, training. And I mean, how many times I lost? I I have, I have no clue. So on the mat, you were the mat, getting beat up. I'm getting smashed by everybody. People my age, I was chubby. I was physically weak. I mean, I'm tall, but physically, I'm not physically strong. I'm normally strong for my size, but physically, if you want to measure strength, I'm weak. Because, you know, we can measure strength, living, lifting weights. I'm weak. I don't lift... I lift weight same as people much lighter than me. Yeah. Everybody my my weight lifts have heavier weight. Than and then me. people that train with you often talk about how they think strong I'm super are. strong. Yeah, because I, I generate a lot of strength. I can create. I, I I put myself in the right angles, so that I can be strong. I'm not strong. And the only person who I listen to saying that is uh, Comprido, one guy that I fought, Rodrigo Medeiros. Mm -hmm. I fought him a few times, and he's the only one that I heard saying about me that's like, no, Roger's not strong. He's not. He's technical, and he's, he can create strength, but he's not strong. He meant that as a compliment? Yeah, I think so. No, it's, I think he was honest, because yeah. he. I think he's the only one who could see that. Yes. So I think that's a compliment. So he's technically really strong. So you had an incredible match with him. Is there a insight you have about how you went from a person uh, who was not very good, but had a, a dream, uh, a confident dream, uh, a vision to somebody that was actually good? Was there something to the practice sessions? Were you getting reps on a specific techniques? I'd never done anything special because I mean, you know, I'm in a gym training equally with everybody else. So I've never did anything on the side different than anybody else. 
So, I, you know, I, I was in the school training the exact the same way as everybody else. Well, in terms of schedule, yes. But what was, can you reverse engineer what, what was going through your mind? Because there's so many different ways to actually mentally approach the same exact training session. I'm going to try to beat you. Okay. So it's, in some part, it's competitive. Yeah. Like at the core of it is I want to be better than these particular people. Um, you're going to keep beating me. I'm going to keep coming back at you. And to do that, I have to solve problems. I have to yeah. figure out how to do stuff yeah. well. You catch me once, I'm gonna keep on coming, trying to not get 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 caught in that. At which point did you develop a game that was basically the white, the famous white belt game of the very basics, the very fundamentals of jiu-jitsu? Like saying, I'm going to beat you. Never, I, I, there, was never there was never a conscious decision. To, to try to, you know, to have a basic jujitsu. First, I think there's a big misconception there. Okay, my what's the misconception? My jujitsu is not Mr. basic. Mr. Gracie, it's not, you're right. It's not basic, it's not old school. I think people, they just don't see that. It's extremely complex in, in a way that is, is, is people, they cannot copy. I teach people, you know, I can teach you the cross-collar choke, but the one thing that people, they don't realize it's not the move, is you need to practice the move until you learn. It's the practice over and over again. Like it took me years. When I say years, I'm like years after I was a black belt, I was able to choke people out with a cross collar choking them out eff effectively. Years after I got my black belt. So is that, that's something that you learn first day, first week. So I can teach you, it, it makes no difference. You, you know the theory. But until you apply it, I mean, you help you, of course, the more details you learn, you know, the, the, the more tools you have to practice, but it's still very complex because it's not about the move itself. It's about how can you control the movement of the other person. He's resisting, you're blocking. You cannot predict what you do, and he's doing a whole bunch of moves to, to block you. Every single move you do a step of the way because it's a it's, it's a progression of move from beginning to end till I apply the choke. It's a progression of move and it, there's not one way to get that. There's many ways because how many ways can you block? You can put your arm in every single angle. We have both arms you can bridge. So it's dealing with all that. That is the that is the complexity of the position. But that goes for everything. Like every single move, my strong moves, I would say, it took me years developing them, years. So it's, and you're gonna tell me that's basic, so go try and do it. What the other person is defending, that's the thing, because most of the things that I do, I've been doing them for years. And I, they know that I'm gonna do, and I can still get it most of the times. That's the hardest. It's when they know what's coming, and you can still do it. And you, you said that the way you're able to do that you just have to do it right. Yeah. What do you learn by doing all the steps along the way? And just for people who don't know, cross-collar choke from the mount. So jiu-jitsu starts in a neutral place. There's people on their feet, and then you either, then you get to the ground somehow, and then there's a the person on top and on bottom, and then there's a guard with the legs between the two people, and then you can get past the guard. As you get past the guard and you... Uh, into side control and so on, you get more and more and more dominant positions. And so mount 
is considered to be one of the most dominant positions. It's when you're past their legs, sitting on top of their stomach, um, putting pressure on them. And cross-collar choke is using their jacket to, uh, how would you explain that? To, to choke So I have the collars, I put my both hands on your collars, and when I squeeze, it it's, you, you press your neck, so it blocks the vein, you, you go to sleep. So it's a, you, you choke people with your hands in the wrist, you put them, you know, you grab the collar, so you get the wrist around people's neck and you squeeze. Yeah, the discovery of that is fascinating. I mean, because it's, it's, it's interesting. It's like, um, you know, you can imagine there's all kinds of ways to choke a human being. Uh, what animals do it with their like mouth, right? They put like their jaws around the, and the fact that you can kind of discover this methodology of the right kind of positioning, and then it becomes an art form, like of why this, why not this, right? Or why not yeah. this or something? Like to figure I all that we out. I think we practice, that will come easy. Over time you figure yeah, out what do, works yeah, and what not, and, you, yeah, and, then, yeah. and then more further and further details and subtleties start to emerge. Anyway, on that process of beating of being able to beat some of the best people in the world and the thing they know is coming. What did you, what's the difference between the white belt doing that and Hadra Gracie doing that? The thing that's so hard to explain. What do you think you're picking up? Is it some tiny, tiny details of muscle movements? It is. It's uh, many tiny details because it's, it's the whole movement itself. It's the perception from beginning to end, like every step of that movement, it's important and precise. So it's, you know, you miss one, one detail on the way, you collapse. So when you say that with the black belt, the black belt has no control over the whole movement. He's thinking beginning and end. So he goes straight to, you know, straight to your neck, regardless, he cannot read the other person. If it's, you know, if it's time to let go, if it's the time to go for a neck, should I be pushing here before I get my hand in? You know, is, is, is this the right time to go deep or should I deal, deal with this first before the second hand? That's at the beginning, so it's at, at the white belt. Yeah. At the very beginning of the journey. Yeah, the white belt, you just think, finish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then as you get progressed, you see that there's like this giant tree of possibilities that you're uh, almost feeling your way down. I mean, would you be able to teach? Expl Do you even know what you're doing? By the details. Okay. But it's hard to convert into words, probably. Uh, no. It's possible. Then you don't know what you're doing. Okay. <laughs> uh, so what is what, what are some most important details that you could say maybe positioning of the hand, the gripping? Is it the positioning of your body, the posture? Is there some interesting like insights? It, it's a, it's, a, com it's a combination because first you have to put your body in a very strong position that you don't require your hands to hold them out. So the choke is that that's first because it, I, cannot use, I cannot use my hands on the floor to stop you escaping. Yeah. So if I have to, my body has to handle that. The way I position myself, I have to do it in a way that don't require my hands for balance. Okay, why is the mouth such a dominant position? It doesn't make any sense, right? Like you're just sitting on top of the stomach of a person. It makes all sense. If you think what's, re, re, forget, forget fighting, forget jujitsu. Like you've never trained. What's the one position, the most dominant position you can get over another human being? One, the most, for you, which one it is? Like the most dominant position 
that you can get over another human being. So if we were just, because the way I think about it is putting myself in like a six, seven, eight-year-old self without knowing any martial arts, and I had an older brother who'd beat the shit out of me. Uh, yeah, it probably was Mount. It, it was. <laughs> but, well, yes. Okay, so we both didn't know. But if we knew something, it'd probably be back control. If in the back control, you're under the other person. The thing being under is the most dominant position it can be over another person. You mean like a back control? If I'm on your back. Oh, like that. You can yeah. move. You can roll. I cannot stop you rolling. Yeah. I, you, maybe you can even stand up. How dominant is that? Yeah, but if we're the same size, both untrained. If I, no, don't, it doesn't have, matter. Have you seen kids? do? They do that. Cause, okay. Mount looks and feels like dominance when you're two eight-year-olds fighting. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I don't know why it feels that way. It could be some animalistic thing. Maybe it is actual dominance. I don't know. But it feels like if you're untrained, you can just buck your way out of it. It feels unstable. It feels unstable to hold mount unless you know what you're doing. Right? No? no? Well, if, you, if you mount, you put both of your hands on the floor. Yeah. Just, just your hands. Do you think it's easy to take somebody off? Yeah, maybe not. Do you think it's easy yeah, to remove the hand and bring them out? The hands on the floor. Yeah. Arms straight. I'm leaning in. Yeah, you're right. It's hard. I mean, you're you right. don't need to know fighting to hold yourself down. Yeah. But you're right. When you take the arms off and balancing, then it gets tricky. Because when you're trying to... Uh, I think what happens... I'm thinking back to eight-year-old. Because my, my brother's five years older than me, and he would do the usual, like, stop hitting yourself thing. And he, I think he would be in mount, like, hitting me with my own hands. Uh, from Out of place of love, of course. Um, I love him deeply. And it was very formative and uh, positive experience for me. Okay, um, I think, yeah, the weakness is when he takes, well, when the person who has you mount takes their arms off to, to do something. But even if you keep your hands up in the air, when I'm falling? Yeah, you can. When yeah. I'm falling, so. I'm speaking about untrained people. I feel like they get greedy. They try to do stuff. The other day I watched my nine-year-old daughter. Yeah. Well, we're in a friend's house. There's a whole bunch of kids there, they're playing. And when I looked, she's mounting a boy, her age, her size. He cannot escape. Wow. She probably has seen. No, she trains. Some she, she's been training yeah. for, I'll say, a year and a half. Okay. Which is not much. I mean, she's a nine year old daughter, a girl over a boy. Has she seen footage of you? Maybe she picked up No, from but that. she's she, she been training for a year and a half. So she has an idea what mount is. But, I mean, in terms of skills, I don't never taught her the mount. Yeah. Is she has, you know, she had lessons at the academy like any other kid. Did she make him cry or? No, but he couldn't escape. <laughs> okay. Which which other position would she be able to hold that boy? In the in the back, he would yeah. roll her out. That's true. Like he couldn't come out from underneath her. She's they're kids. Like there is no other most dominant position that you can pin the other person. Couldn't you argue from that perspective side control? No. No. Because side control, you have to to hold the other person, and it's you're not free. You 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 cannot release them. But in side control, your hips are not on top of theirs, so they can't buck you off, right? Can can you if you're holding them a little bit and then you can hit them with one hand? But like his, slap he, his head is here. You're gonna hurt him here. But the time you're doing that, but then he has his arms free. And if you turn towards your legs, 
then he's away from your arms. You don't even have the perfect angle. I mean, it is a good position. You can hit, you can dominate, but it's not the best position to be over the other person. He can knee you in the head. At the same time, you punch him, then there's a knee coming to your head. I love playing devil's advocate with Hodger Grace about two eight-year-olds fighting. And you and you, your head is closer to his hand. Yeah, maybe he can give throw you a punch. All right. So All would right. you would you choose to be in side control of a mouth? getting in the head? Well, for a person who in competition prefers knee on belly over mouth, um, but that's my weakness. That's my failure as a human being. <laughs> Holding mouth is is can be tricky. It's very hard. <laughs> of course, it's hard. But what is easy? Tell uh, me easy... Side control and knee on belly is easier. But to submit... Knee on belly is easy. Easier. I'm not saying black belt level. I'm saying, well, maybe even black belt level. Easier for what? To hold somebody? To make them squirm and hurt. To create openings. Yeah, but go to there with a big guy. Yeah, you can't. You can't. Yeah. He's going to push you back and come up. In the mount, he can't sit up. Not when you mounted him. The thing is also about mount is people on the bottom of mount panic more, so they fight of course harder. They panic. They 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 expose. Yeah, it's the most exposure you you have, because the post arms are free. You cannot touch him. His head is too high. There's nothing he can do. His legs won't get you anywhere. He might touch your lower back. It's like nothing. You 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 you're most exposed being in the mount. I'd rather you hold me side control a thousand times than mount on me and having to look up for your fist come down on me. Yeah. Side control, I hug you, you cannot hurt me. Mm -hmm. Okay, you hold me, but I'm hugging you. If I hug, hug you tight, what can you do against me? Hold. But it seems maybe it's just from, uh, and again, I'm arguing just for the fun of it, yeah. but um, it seems like a more difficult skill to learn to apply a huge amount of pressure and weight from mount. You don't have versus, to apply pressure and weight from mount? Or not apply pressure, but be heavy, right? You don't necessarily need to be heavy. You don't? No. What, why do you, as people say, you feel extremely heavy? If I'm putting, if I'm being heavy, I cannot attack. I, I, I have to choose. I can be heavy just to penalize, you know, just to pin them, take the energy out, you know, to make them suffer. Yeah. <laughs> but the moment that I decide to attack, I can only be heavy if I'm sitting up straight. That's when my all my weight can drop down. If I'm high, then I'm sitting on your chest and you know, on your on your on your solar plexus. That's the worst position to be sitting at on the person because that's where he breathes. Mm -hmm. So you're in a high mouth, sitting up straight, that's when you can I can be very heavy. I can make people, you know, feel my weight and uh, you know, be very uncomfortable, but I'm not in a position to attack. The moment that I want to attack, my body has to lean forward. I have to approach the, you know, the, the neck or the arms. The moment that I do that, my weight comes off my hips, it goes to my knees, the weight is off you. But at that point, if you have now I'm attacking, I'm no longer heavy on you. But you want to be at that point to remove any of the defenses they have or some of the defenses by getting their yeah, elbows. Now, now I'm like either getting in, trying to get your call or bringing your elbow across to attack the arm lock. So what are some interesting details along the way that are tough to get to figure out? What were the big leaps for you from white belt 
to 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 the best in the world. It's you're trying to attack the neck, you know, putting one hand in the collar. You're priving yourself that hand to paste it on the floor. Yeah. So now you're vulnerable to get breached, to get rolled over. Because if your hands are free, trying to roll you over, you stopped. Mm-hmm. The moment that you put your hand in the person's collar, now you have to be very careful with your body positioning. Very careful. The distribution because, of the weight. Yeah, and how you you know how high you sit, you know how tall your 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 upper body goes, and then the biggest challenge comes as you try the second hand. That's the you know for the for the choke, that's the biggest challenge. The second hand, because you already have you you know you already don't have one hand. Now you 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 are trying the second hand, and if one of my hand is in, you are, you know, as a it, uh, de- defending yourself you have two hands. One hand is already on one side. This this side is getting attacked. Mm-hmm. You have two hands blocking that. I have one hand. There's no help for that hand. I cannot remove anything. That's the biggest challenge. Getting one hand getting past two and not getting rollover. But I also have, have two hands on bottom. I have two hands and can also turn and, and do all yeah. kinds of stuff. Yeah. And my whole mind and everything is focused on that second hand. Yeah. It's a big challenge. It's hard, very hard. Is there an art to getting the first hand into a place where you? It's really less like? of an art because it's easier. I'll say most times I get my first hand in is when you you trying some move, you're trying to escape, you're pushing. I get the first hand in as an opportunity, and it's gonna sit there for a while. Yeah. And now, and I go as deep as I can. So the first hand, because the second hand is the hardest. I have to compensate the first hand to be as deep as I can. Right. If I cannot get the first hand in deep, I won't try the second. I need that first hand deep, then I go for the second. And it's deep and everything is like super like tight? Super tight. The first hand has to be super tight. Otherwise, the chance of failing is very big. Okay. Does the opponent usually feel like they're screwed at that point also? Not as you put in the first hand in. The moment that I position myself just prior to attempt the second hand, I think the way I, my, my body is positioned, the way I'm, I'm collapsing with my weight and they feel it's like it's, I'm, you know, uh, this is terrible. Yeah, how long did it take you to figure out how to reposition your weight once the first hand is in? Very quickly, because do I get breached out? Okay, so that there's a good feedback loop yeah, there. Yeah, because one mistake you out, like one off positioning you out. But you still have to do that against the best people in the world. Yeah. Where, where's the way out for most people? Like if you were in Mount against Bouchesha or some of the best defenses in the world. I mean, the, the way out is to, I mean, is, the obviously is to defend themselves and, you know, prevent the first hand to get deep. And I would say the best thing that they could do is try to change my positioning on the Mount in a way that, you know, push me to a very low amount. Mm-hmm. You know, try to to, 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 to to change the way I'm dominating you, not to be, you know, to get me off the high mount, pretty yeah. much. Are you always, is it a slow, is it a fast thing slow, to go from slow, low to slow, fast slow, mount? Slow, A uh, high mount. Slow, very slow. Because I need to beat your arms, because you're holding me down. Yeah. And the, the arms need it's, to come out. It's, it's, it's a slow, there. it's a slow process. Okay. And you just, is there like a... Yeah. Like well, a, it's, it's, so I use my legs against your arms. So it's my legs pushing your arms. But how do you get them? How do you get your legs into the elbows? It's, as long as it's 
you know, it has to come under the, the tip of your elbow because now the legs will start forcing your arms up. So your legs aren't like spread out there. No. They're in. Your elbow cannot get inside my leg right. because, all, I, because that means I'm in a very low amount. And then I cannot attack because I cannot ignore that. Because the moment that I attack, that will, you will start pushing my leg to push me up. What's the secret to getting the second hand in? There's two ways. Either you go four fingers inside, which is the hardest because with the moment that your two hands are defending, yeah. you'll be blocking the the the, the you know the, the way. Mm -hmm. And I cannot clear and attack two hands against one. So I go thumb and I go behind the ear. Yep. So my my grip goes because for you to defend, you need to get there. And when you get there, you elevate your elbow, you suppose the arm lock. So it's hard. And so you, you put the thumb in, and then there's the uh, dreaded, like the other person just waits for you to loop the arm over. Yeah, but that, the, the, this over. It's a, uh, once you get the thumb in, it's over. Okay. No, but when I'm there, it's if I get the, because they're bridging, you know, they try and I'm, yeah. I'm not using their hand to post. Now your head is your my head, head is, is very close to the floor. When I've tried to bridge, and you know my forehead would touch the floor, that would be used as a hand. But it's not on the floor, not necessarily. Okay. Because if it's on the floor, my body collapses over you. Yeah. So there's no place for my hand for me to work on your neck. So I need some space between us, so I don't completely. So maybe collapse. you can bob up and down. Kind of yeah, bobs yeah. Up but and then... I try to keep a gap between us. Okay. <laughs> so that pursuit that takes many, 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 many years. I don't know if you've seen Jiro Dreams of Sushi. The doing the simple thing that's not so simple, but it kind of looks simple of the over and over and over and over and over and presumably getting it much better. Very simple. It becomes very simple. But you're picking up details probably along the way. There's wisdom along yeah. the way. What is that? Is that um there's like lessons that you just kind of accumulate over time? Like one training session you'll see. Maybe um, like the positioning of the thumb, like this detailed positioning of the thumb or something like this. And then you like, okay, you like load that in. That, that would be very basic because there is not that many different ways. Maybe one, two. I just do one. Any other is not as strong because it's, it's about getting a strong grip on your collar. I mean, the sun is, it's, the thumb goes inside, you know, is it the thumb in or, or, or four fingers in, mm. but it's, it's getting a strong grip on the collar. As long as, the, you know, this is just holding yeah. and feeling strong. So that's just two options. So uh, it's the dynamic stuff along the way. That, yeah. And then some of that is timing too. It's timing. Are you also like making people, like faking them out, making them think about something else? No, not at that point. Okay. That's not, because I cannot fake anything else at that point. Because I will have to change my positioning to, you know, maybe to fake an arm lock. Then I have to move out from that. So then I will lose that the control I have. So what's the process uh, towards mastery? If you were to convert that to something that generalizes beyond jiu-jitsu, how can you get that good at a simple thing? Practice. And what? That's that, simple. The same exact thing over and over. It's just a matter of how long it would take you. So all, <laughs> that's true, that's but, true. I mean, like I said, that's true. look how long it took me. People give up along the way. There is, um, 
intricacies to that journey towards perfection. Because there's a lot of people that do jiu-jitsu for decades and don't get better. No, because they don't train the way they should. They don't train to get better, they train to get tough. That's a big difference. Most people, they train to get tough, so they are tough. You know, like we were talking before, they don't practice the weakness. You wanna be good at, you wanna be really good at jujitsu, you have to practice your weakness, not your strength. You have to practice everything, but you have to be equally strong in every position. They're all exactly the same. You know, your, your guard, top bottom, side control, top bottom, turtle, half guard, mount, back. I mean, you pick, take down. It's, and then you get into details of escaping triangle, applying the you know triangle, escaping arm lock, different scenarios of, you know, it's well, the one thing is defending the arm lock when you, you know, have your time, your arms very close to your body. The other thing is to defend the arms when your arm is, you know, almost getting, and then when he, he got your arm. So there's so many things to practice that you need to repeat them over and over again until you're confident <laughs> enough that when you get there, you have a chance. And you can do the same kind of thing for even the final stages of a cross choke from mom. Everything. I mean, of course, like you don't practice escaping the arm lock with a full arm straight yeah. because, you know, it's, it, that's gone. I mean, you, you practice, you know, you practice escaping the arm lock when he takes your arm, you have, you know, you have a chance of trying to escape, but you don't practice. You know, okay, take my arm. When I say go, go, I mean, you got, you know, you pop the arm. That is like, you get injured doing that. Escaping the cross collar choke, it's, I mean, escape not letting the person get there. Yeah. You can escape, you can practice escaping triangles because, you, you know, it's like, it's you, you have a way better chance of escaping triangle than, okay, mount to me, put, put both hands in my neck. I mean, <laughs> it's over, you know, don't be there. What's the best submission in jiu-jitsu? A choke, I would say. Which, choke. From which position? I if if mount I gave to, you a back. billion dollars to start in a position, <laughs> like uh, in a submission, and, and you only get the billion if if you get the submission, which one would you Cross start? Cross collar choking them up. Cross collar choking them, not from the back. No, you have a better chance escaping from the back. Really? Yeah. Even with the hooks. Even with everything. Do you think some people disagree with you? I don't care. I have a better escape. I have a better chance escaping from the back than if you mount on me, put my hands on my neck. So I've if, been that many times. If you were facing yourself, and I will give you a billion dollars to escape, <laughs> you you would uh, you would pick from the back, back. Oh. thousand times over. Like really, no comparison. You have like a with hooks with like a triangle. It like doesn't a, matter. You can do whatever you want. Like a body triangle. Okay. Okay. Like really? a thousand times over, so like what, no question. So to you, the mount is a super controlling position. It's not just. Because know. cross collar choking the mount, the moment that you put both hands on my neck, you know, you have to, your arms need to be very close to your body to attack. So that means there's very little space between us. So that means there's very little escape space for you to work on your escape. Mm -hmm. And the moment that you cannot bridge, Let's suppose I have, you know, the person has a good mouth, so you cannot bridge him off. What else? You don't have space to try to work on your defense. Being in the back, I have all the space around me to work on my defense and my arms. I have the mobility to bring them anywhere. 
So I, because of that, it gives you and me a much better chance. Yeah. And yeah. I, you cannot, I can move my body. You feel my, you feel my back, you, you cannot pin me. You know, I cannot take you off my back. First, I need to defend the, the choke, but you have no control over my body. So that means there's still a lot of movement that I can try to use to escape. In the mount, there's no movement. I'm pinned down. I cannot move, and I have no space between us to escape. Well, the argument against that, this is great, is that on the bottom of mount, I, the, uh, I do have my hands between... So you're saying they're pinned, there's nothing. Between where? I mean, you could get them th in theory. You could somehow, you could. You but could. there's no, you can, but then there's no space. They'll be squeezed between our bodies. If it's an incredible, if it's an incredible mount. No, it's not mount. Like how, standing. If I put both hands on your neck, if I'm going to go for the cross collar choke, after I get my hands in, the next step is to pull you close to me. So it's this, my arms need to be close but to I me. But I can. Put, there's a hands that could do something. They can come in, but there's there are very limited space between us. Yes, yes. No, I mean to push your body away to, to only if we're standing, the not if your back is against the floor. Sure. Okay. The argument against the mount is, uh, or the argument for back control as being the most dominant position is, even though I have hands, I can't really use them effectively, as effective. Not in the mount. There's no in, space. In the mount, there's no space. There's no space. Okay. You can try. I mean, you can squeeze your hand in. I mean, there's there's still things that you could do, mm -hmm. but they're so limited. So if you polled the 100 best competitors of all time, what do you think they would answer to that? Do you think most would agree with you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. It's, I mean, it will show me their skills, the ability to see. Okay, so the perfect mount versus the perfect back control. There's no question. Okay, there's no question. For, for me, I mean, argue with me, like, show me. Because I'm not, I'm not being stubborn because I'm being... I'm being Scientific. I'm, I'm, just, exactly. <laughs> I mean, so ex explain it to me why the back, it, it would be harder. It would be better to your position to finish than mount. If, if you can explain it to me why, I, I might change my mind. I was trying to, but uh, it's... I don't. I don't have the cred. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm like a middle school science student trying to talk to Einstein here. Okay. Besides you, who do you think is the greatest jujitsu competitor of all time? Can you make the case for some of them? Marcelo, Bushesha, Leandro Lowe. I'll have to go with Bushesha because look at the how many titles he has. I mean. He has by far more than Marcelo. Marcelo stopped quite early. Leandro has eight, but Bocheche is better than him. What do you think makes Bocheche so good? He's a heavyweight that moves like a lightweight. He's, he moves very fast, but he's very agile for his size. So the uh, the agility combined with aggression. Yeah. So it's very hard to control him because he moves fast and he's a hundred. 12 kilos, 115 sometimes, or 110. I mean, I'm not sure, but he's about around that. So 240 in, in pounds. So when, you, when you're when agile, 200, 240 pounds, that makes it very hard to control you. What about making the case for some others? What about the little guys? What about Marcelo? If you were to make the case for him being the strongest, what makes Marcelo good? 
Marcel Garcia is extremely technical. I mean, I think he's he's one of my favorite jujitsu fighters because in, in a technical way, I think he's probably one of the best. His raw technique and a bunch of different positions for submissions. He, he's he's not very powerful, you know. Physically, he's not very strong, but he can make himself very strong, and his technique is very very high level. Have you ever uh, trained with him? No, I fought him twice. Yeah, and so, yeah. Um, <laughs> but he's most, much smaller than me. It's what happened in those matches? The first fight, I tapped him. I think five minutes. In wh which submission? Choke from the back, collar choke from the back. And the second time, I beat him by points, but a very large. I, yeah, I think twelve two. Actually, uh, just to continue. Uh, I wonder if uh, if John Donahoe would agree with you about mountain and back. I can't wait to. This is a bear versus lion conversation. But I'm looking. There's there's statistics about. <laughs> I'm not letting this go. Uh, there's statistics about. Oh, look at that, Hodger. What do you know? Looking at Hodger Gracie's statistics for um, most successful submissions, choke from the back yeah. is the most. So, so because how do you people explain panic that, Mr. When Scientist? I, because people panic when I'm out. Ah. They turn the back. I yeah. choked them out. That's one explanation. Uh, but for people, it is interesting that, uh, of course, this doesn't capture, but this captures a lot of your major matches. And we should say that you've submitted most of your opponents. So you rarely win on points. You usually win sub submissions. Choke from back is most of them. Then cross choke from mount. Arm bars a lot too. So uh, 18 from choke from back, 12 cross choke, 10 arm bar, uh, 5 RNC rear naked is for no gi. Okay. So Ezekiel 2000 in there, and Ezekiel is very powerful. I took, I used, it's a strong weapon. Yeah. Also from mount. Also from mount. Oh, that's when you can't get the one hand in. No, because the Ezekiel most times I use against people is is the is the attack that as soon as I get to the mount, when they're trying to escape the open up, and I get them. It has to be at that initial hmm. timing. So it's not a thing you use to like bother them no. in order to create. Either, either I get it right right away, or I don't bother trying much. Got it. Because you need to keep one hand behind the head. And that put, um, you're naturally on that position as soon as you mount, most of the times. And the moment that you mount someone, no one accepts that they go mounted, they're gonna explode to get out. So holding the head, it gives you a better way, way to dominate them initially, you know, to deal with that explosiveness on the on the initial, on the beginning. And then, but then you have to let go to try it. You're very limited holding the head. In terms of goats, uh, Shanji, I feel like he doesn't get enough credit that he deserves. He had an extremely dominant performance in, in competition. What about Salo and Shanji Hibero? What are your thoughts about what makes them so good? He had a bunch of tough matches with Shanji. Yeah. And Salo. Eight times. Eight times he fought. Yeah, for eight times, Shanji. I fought Salo once. What? Uh, <laughs> I think I'm bringing up a sore point. Um, oh, did Shanji tap when you, uh, or, or did the time run out in that? Uh, was the last time you guys faced each other? Yeah, 2008. That was incredible to watch. Uh, also, uh, I think you pulled guard with one minute left, working yeah. towards 
attacking. I mean, it's it's probably very tough to to get anything. And the for people who don't know, time ran out. You had a uh, something that looked like an arm lock, and uh, Shanji looked like he may be tapping, but it looked like he might be just celebrating, which is most I'm, likely. I'm, I'm not sure. I th I'm not sure. It was. I'm not sure because I think his arm just just straight his arm time finish. Yeah. So I'm not sure if he was tapping to you know to let go time time times up or because of the outside. Most likely, the time was up. Yeah, and also there's a thing where you start, you realize there's only three, two seconds left. You used to kind of start celebrating. Yeah. You realize that Hodger's um, not going to be able to finish this arm bar in the time left, so you start celebrating. No, I think he tapped to say the time is up. The time is up. Anyway, what do you think? Like the longevity, especially, is impressive with with uh, with Shanji. How long? I think he doesn't get credit as much as he deserves because he pushed his career very far. And the last few years, he was on his best. So he's, if he would have stopped before, you know, he would, people would remember him on his highest, but he kind of pushed more than his peak, let's say. How hard is it for you to walk away? We'll talk about the journey into MMA as well, but you basically, especially with the second match against Bucheshi, basically walked away on top, um, beating arguably the greatest competitor of all time, um, and just walking away. It wasn't that hard, to be honest, because that was something that I was considering for a while. Because the last few years of my career, let's say, it was fighting MMA at the same time as fighting jiu-jitsu, and it was, it's very challenging to do both. Like, I don't, there's not another person who ever did that because the training is, is a confliction with the way you train. Everybody who starts doing MMA, start focusing MMA, their jiu-jitsu gets worse because they stop training with the gi. Everybody, no exception. Was your jiu-jitsu also getting worse? No because I made sure I kept training with the Gi and I kept fighting at least the world championship once a year. That was my goal. I'm like, I'm gonna go for MMA, but I, I love Jiu-Jitsu and I still wanna fight the highest level. So I kept fighting once a year for a few years. It was a challenge, especially because the two or three times when I competed at the Worlds, it was right after an MMA fight I had. And then, you know, no gi, you don't, you, you, you don't have the grips. So my grips, it made a big difference on my grips. So I was weaker grip-wise. Mm. So I felt that. So I knew it was like, it's, it's unnecessary risk because I'm not, if I cannot be 100%, so why, should, why am I doing this? But I'm stubborn, I love jujitsu. That's like, I love fighting jujitsu. I never loved MMA. I've liked it, but I think if all grace, I wouldn't done it. So the the thing you felt the most is uh, the grips. Yeah. Because yeah. you win a, a Gi World Championship without gripping. No. Like uh, just pretending it's no Gi match, they get to grip you, but you don't. No. So grips are essential. Of course. I mean, how can you choke someone? Like it's, if, if, if your grips are weak, you, you, your forearms will fatigue. 
and then you will have no power, and then you cannot do anything. Yeah, you could still arm lock, and you could. <laughs> so like, I, I meant more not for the submission, but for the control of the game of it. The the yeah, but you need to you need to grip to get there to get there, and if your grips are weak, but you you also have grips in nogi. Can she use those grips? No. This is a thought experiment. So like, I mean, I'm trying to understand how essential. Like, get a grip get a no gi guy go fight with the gi, they panic. They panic. Of course, everyone panics. A bear panics when they're in the water with a shark, but that doesn't mean the bear can't still win when it stops panicking and relaxes. It's not possible. Uh, that's another discussion. Can a bear beat a shark in the water? Um, actually, I need to maybe a polar bear because they're pretty good at swimming. Okay. I say not possible for the no gi guy to win. But the bears is a further discussion. Yeah. What was to you the biggest difference between mixed martial arts and uh, jiu-jitsu? What are some interesting differences, some interesting insights, even just about the grappling within both sports? So the biggest difference for me between MMA and jiu-jitsu is first is the speed. Like jiu-jitsu, you know, like a 10 minutes match, I can take my time. There's no dangers that, that forces me to move fast. MMA, you have to be 100% sharp and fast from first second of the fight. Because punches are coming, you can get knocked out any time. One mistake, you're out. Jiu-Jitsu don't have that. Like it's, I don't have to worry about quick submissions because it's, it's all about the way my body is positioned. You know, my grips, it's easy to avoid, it's easy to see it coming. Like it's like a quick submission, a surprise. It only works if you make a mistake, if you're not correct positionally. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's impossible. I mean, it's extremely difficult. MMA is is not. I mean, one split second mistake, and when the person comes, you have to respond. You have to to match his pace. I mean, you can't slow down, but it's like you you're forced to respond. So it's a much faster. Is is a it's a lot more physical, a lot more. And you need to be physical, much better conditioning, faster. It's explosiveness. It's much harder. Is it possible in the MMA to calm things down? Unless, if they change the rules, yeah. Five-minute rules, no. Ah, I see. So, like, uh, I, I just meant, actually, technically speaking, is there ways to... To take an opponent that's being exceptionally aggressive. And you can, it. clinch. Clinch. But then he takes you down, he, he keeps moving. Something yeah. is hard to, to yeah, control hard. that pace. You can. You don't. If you play defense, you you save more energy than if you try to be the aggressor and respond. And even getting to the clinch is very difficult. Yeah. You have no way to hold yourself there. So that was the biggest challenge for me in MMA is, is the speed. Because I'm a very slow start fighter. If you look at my matches, I start very slow because if I go hard, you know, I fatigue faster. So for me, that was the hardest part of is to start fast. What about on the ground? Is there something different, more challenging on the ground? Being in the bottom, yes. There's punches, <laughs> punch comings. Yeah, how fundamentally different is jiu-jitsu with punches on the ground? Uh, it changes everything, everything. Which Which parts? The, the distance that you allow your opponent to be on you, the techniques that you choose to apply, you know, you, you, you have to, your body has to be aware of the punches and, you know, the, you, you are a lot more limited 
for new attacks. Like, so you're you're known for your closed guards. How does your closed guard have to adjust? How, how does the positioning of your hands have to adjust when you're on the bottom of closed guard? So in the guard, especially in the closed guard, you, you have to either keep the person very close to you or you have to kick him away. Mm-hmm. That's the, in the guard, is either I'm hugging you or get away from me. And in jiu-jitsu, you're allowed to have a middle? Yeah, in jiu-jitsu, there's a lot. Of, you can't allow the person to be. What about getting a, a, a arm lock or a triangle submissions from the, from the guard? Is, is that fundamentally different because you don't have the middle game? It's much harder. There's barely no open guard in MMA, very little. Because the, the open guard, there's a distance between you and him. Yeah. There's a distance, you, how you, you cannot control. It's much harder to control that punch coming. And I have to position myself a way to block that. And it limited my attacks, my options of attacks. Is there a reason, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think you do open guard much in jiu-jitsu and no-gi. Is there a reason for that? It's harder with the explosive, uh, explosive person because it's you know when they're moving fast, then you have to try to slow them down. So you like guards that allow you to control the person. Yeah. And close guard is the ultimate control. Yeah. Okay. It's not ultimate control, but close guard puts you in a position that I'm attacking and you're defending. You, you cannot attack me from my close guard. We, we can argue that there might be one or two attacks, but it's like very, very, very limited and depends who you're fighting against. I, I hate the close guard. Like being on top while against a good close guard is very. No one bad. likes it. It's terrible. It's horrible. Yeah, it's one sided. Yeah. So you're in the guard and it's one sided. The person in the bottom has the advantage. I can be completely relaxed in my close guard. And I cannot be completely relaxed. You know what the most annoying thing is? Mm-hmm. It's somebody who is both good and extremely confident with a close guard. Because yeah. they have that smug energy about them. They know how much unpleasant, how much work it takes to pass this. Anyway, um, especially people with longer legs. Is there something you um, wish you did differently in how you started training in MMA in that trajectory in figuring out how to train, how to get good? Like, what have you learned about getting good at MMA from having done it? If, if you were to start now, for example. I think I'd have to dedicate it more. I didn't dedicate enough. Uh, both like literally time, number of training sessions. Training, really, yeah. But also training, mental. Training-wise, physical. Yeah, I think a lot more of the physical part of it. The strikes, everything? The strike from the beginning. It's because... I mean, I love jujitsu. Like it's, I truly love the, all all the aspects of it: fighting, training, you know, the practice, the competition. I don't have that for MMA, so it's hard to to give your heart to it, something that you don't have the passion to it. Like jujitsu, you know, I gave my heart to it. Like I did everything that I had to. MMA, I never, I didn't do that. So that's why it was. I won't, I won't say it was wrong for me to to have to, to, to do it because I don't regret doing it. I always, you know, looking back as a kid when I decided to, you know, to be, to take jiu-jitsu for life, I, I, I already knew that at some point I would have to do MMA. There's almost like that's the path of a Gracie. You know, you when you're ready, you go do MMA. So, so there was a, like there was a no duty choice. versus yeah. a love. Yeah. 
There was there was not a choice. There was like I have to. That's just the the life I took. It will lead that way. Are you proud of that step? You know, go against the natural love and towards more duty. I think I don't regret it because if I hadn't done it, I would feel there was something missing. Yeah. So I don't regret doing. I would regret not doing. <laughs> the The tricky thing is the choice to go to MMA could have compromised your ability to win against Bruchesha. And it, and it didn't, and it's um it's a fascinating case study. It still doesn't make sense to me. They after all those years, you're able to come back and, and go against the best person in the world and beat him. Yeah, man, I had to because the first fight we had, I had something stuck in my throat for a long time. <laughs> I so had you, you think so? You think about that? Oh yeah, I'm like well, as soon as that first fight finished. I had said I, that got stuck in my throat that I already, at that point, I knew I'm going to have to fight him again. I knew. I always knew. <laughs> There's no choice. I have to. Oh, man. All right. Well, in, <laughs> in terms of no-gi, who do you think is the best no-gi competitor of all time? There's no question, you know. Is, is Gordon is, is, I mean, it's, I don't think it's right to say the best competitor of all time because he's still very young. I think that's something that he can be aggro in the end of when the person. <laughs> you don't want him to get lazy. You don't want to say. No, no, I mean, <laughs> but you cannot praise someone in the middle of his career, yeah. you know? So it's, you cannot call him the best ever. He's 26 or 27. So it's, I mean, he's, he's great. He's very good. He's ahead of all, all of other competitors, I think. And, I mean, he's having an amazing career. You know, he's doing amazingly well. So, I mean, when he's when he finished, when he finally retired, then you can argue like, you know what? There's wisdom in that. It matters how you finish, right? Of course, it's very interesting. I, I think the nogi is relative new. That nogi scene that was not there wasn't a scene before. I think he started now on his generation you know his time because before like when i was competing nogi was just adcc there's nothing else every two years and my first was only in the emirates you know you should have you had to go there to compete so there was not even a scene there was like this one tournament mm -hmm. that gives a lot of money to you know to competitors to fighters and it brings fighters from other modalities you know to mark Van Arsdale, you know, some wrestlers, Greco-Roman, you know, they can compete against each other. And they, you know, they create that set of rules, try not to favor anyone. So that was it. So you cannot be called the greatest doggy of all time if you only have one tournament every two years. Only in Emirates, they have to be invited to. But I think now, you know, it, it, it grew a lot. Now we have so many different tournaments. Now we have a scene. You have people that only train Nogi. They're fully dedicated to Nogi. And you have supervised different tournaments. So now it's, it's now you know now it's professionally. You can do just Nogi now, which before was unheard of it because you you have one or two tournaments. If you cannot be called a Nogi fighter fighting once or two, once every two years, twice every two years. 
Yeah, now there's entire yeah. systems that are optimized for no gi that could be fundamentally different. Like, what do you think about the body lock? Like this passing with the body lock, I, I, don't, I don't know if you get an understanding of it. Yeah. That I think it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a popular way to, um, what is it? To maybe to apply stay tight to stay tight. very close to your opponent your, your your opponent so he can't push create distance he can push away but somehow and, it uh shuts down the hips as well yeah makes it more difficult to yeah kind of trap your legs you see you, you, your back gets stuck on against the floor I are, are you like scientifically curious about these new developments do you think do you do you have answers in your head to them most so body lock is one interesting one. Obviously, foot locks is another, and I don't mean just the foot locks, but the whole like yeah. control aspect of foot locks. Yeah. That's interesting, and there's other there's other interesting stuff. John is really into uh, um, the wrestling aspect, but not wrestling, wrestling, but wrestling everywhere, jujitsu at all levels of the plane. Um, that's that's very interesting because you know obviously jujitsu has not really been you know, unlike like freestyle wrestling and so on, has not been a, like a systematic, scientific, rigorous exploration of wrestling. It's like you're on your feet and you're on the ground. Not, not intermix. Yeah. There's a lot of interest. John is academic. He tried to, you know, numbers, mathematics, everything. But yeah. <laughs> well, you kind of are too. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, I am because you have to understand what you're doing. You know, there's a, Everything there's a step by step, like logistic, like details. Every single move, there's a reason for it. You know, there's things around that happens. It's if the more you know, the better you are, right? The more knowledgeable or compared or whatever. So I think with the footlocks, with the nogi, like if you look back, you know, if you think of used to be seen as a really bad thing to attack the foot. It wasn't seen as a good options of attack. Mainly. <laughs> what is it, like res respectable gentlemen don't attack the legs no, or what? No, because if you look back, you know, the tournaments, the, when they were created, all the rules and everything else was to simulate a real fight with no punches. But now we have it in a gi. I mean, if you ask, what is jujitsu? Like, what are you trying? What's the main goal of jujitsu? To dominate your opponent. What's the main goal of fighting? It's we're fighting. It's of course submission is the ultimate goal, but the the you know before that the main goal is to dominate you. Like we're fighting, I have to dominate you, and then the submission comes. And footlocks, it's I don't require any domination on you. I don't I I don't need to be in a dominant position to attack your foot. And is is if I attack your foot, you're still free to knock me out. If your body goes down to my foot, I can still come close to you or stand up and I'll punch you. So it's not a, a good position to be in a real fight. Yeah, to attack in the foot. I mean, how many times you've seen that going bad? That going bad in a in a in MMA fight. I mean, of course you had so, you know some sort of success with the heel hook. It's no questions. But how many times went wrong? People were knocked out attacking the foot. So you can't say it's the best position to be. It's it's okay to go, but it's a very high risky position to go. So that's why it's not in a real situation. It's not seen as a good thing. 
So when you translate that to jujitsu, when attacking the foot is not seen as a good thing because when you ref reflect that to a, to a real situation, it's not going to go down well. So it was always seen as a as an easy way out, you know, easy cut. You're trying, you're trying to the easy path. You can't pass my guard. You can't dominate me. And then you're trying to attack my foot. That's why it was always seen as a, you know, as not as a best, a great submission, a way to win. But the sad side effect of that is it was completely underdeveloped because of that. Exactly, of course. So people never really developed that. But now, the determinants, the, the fighting, it got completely, not completely, but it got so, it's not longer seen as, you know, as a simulation of the real thing. Now it's a, now it's a sport. It's only seen as a sport. So now it doesn't matter if you attack my foot, you cannot punch me. So why is it bad now to attack the foot? So it's not seen as a bad thing anymore. And it, it, it now it got really developed. I don't know. That's another bear versus shark question. But, you know, there is, um, in a street self-defense situation, it's possible to imagine where foot locks would be effective for highly. But I guess if you invest 10,000 hours, it's better to invest it in chokes. Yeah, to dominate. If I'm, you know, if I we're fighting, it's way better for me to be on your side control on the mount where I can pin you, be completely safe, than to stay inside your legs trying to attack your foot. But people would argue that there's a lot of very dominant controlling positions in the whole footlock game, right? It is, but it can go bad very quickly. Yeah. Just <laughs> no. It, it. I mean, there's there's some great ways to control someone that he cannot escape. Yeah. But it can go bad very quickly. That's the thing. Well, even back control can go bad very quickly on the street. So mount, I don't know. Is mount a really good position? No, but then, they, then there's no good position then. There's no good position. <laughs> there's no, there's no. <laughs> every, every position, there's a risk, okay? Attacking the foot is a way higher risk than side control, mount, back. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. The back is not the best way to pin someone unless you're underneath me. Because I, if you try to rotate, I can sacrifice the back and just let you push, be in the mount. Okay, there you go. W would you prefer mount or back mount where they're flattened? Like a... Steel mount. <laughs> Thought I'd get you. <laughs> uh, so yeah, going back to Gordon, what do you think makes that guy so good? We were just a ADCC, you got to see him... I mean, uh, I historically dominant first, performance. His dedication, the way he trains, and how much he trains. And of course, you have to add his mind, his belief to really try to be good, the best. So, you know, I don't know what his goals are, but I know he's he tried to be better than his opponents. So his belief are very strong. His dedication, he probably trains more than everybody else. I mean, I'm... I haven't seen firsthanded, but from what I hear interviews with him and everybody else training, I, you know, the way everybody trains, yeah, you know, trying to, for my uh, little knowledge I have, I, I'll bet he trains more than everybody else. And most important, how he trains. And when I, I kind of already knew, but when I heard John podcast with you the other day, John was explaining that preparation, the training for the ADCC, and that kind of gave me a very strong uh, idea how they've been training all these years. 
So, you know, when we said it's you have to work on your weakness, so you have no weakness, he trains a lot on his weakness, which not everyone does that. You know, if you look other, I'm not going to name, but, you know, other main schools, when like very strong competitors, great competitors, super tough people, but super tough, not great, because they train, they spar very hard. That makes them tough. If you want to be good, you have to work on your weakness. Because when you spar, like we're saying, how many times you're going to practice escaping a bad position, like a submission hold or a pinning position, side control, mount, or it's very little the amount time you get to spend on those positions if you don't start there. So that he's very smart the way he trains. And part of that is also cerebral. It's not just putting yourself in those positions, but talking through different ideas. Yeah. Like they, they talk, they like experiment. It's very like, at, at, at first glance, it's like philosophical almost. Because you're trying to create systems constantly. You're trying to understand how this fits into this big picture. Yeah. And, and then it goes back to what is jujitsu, what is fighting? Is fighting for dominance. You know, it's fighting for the ultimate dominance positions, which is back and mount. There's no others. And from that, you finish. So if you look back at his, you know, over the years, the, you know, of his past fights, before he used to mainly focus in legs. And over the past few years, now he's mainly focusing in finishing from the mountain back. But that's when he became really good. Uh, so part of that is... Mr. John Donaher, what do you think? You've 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 known John for a long time. What makes that guy uh, interesting, uh, special, and and good? What have you learned about jujitsu and life from John Donaher? He's super smart. I mean, eccentric, and he lives through jujitsu. He's twenty four seven thinking better ways to teach, how to make his competitors better. And that as a coach, when you have that dedication as a coach, that it makes the most difference of your athletes. Like, which other big team you have that coach with that motivation? All the other schools is either someone that competes, that push the training, like Andre Galvão. Mm -hmm. It's you know, He's one of the competitors, so he brings the hype in everyone else. But he doesn't have the time. He doesn't spend the time working individually. I mean, I'm sure he does, but it's limited because he's also a competitor. And, you know, looking most of the other big schools, like you don't have that. Now they, all the leaders, the, the main coaches for the other big schools, they have other things, other things in their lives. They cannot, don't fully dedicate it to the athletes. John does. You know, look at the interview. He spends hours and hours a day studying how can await the system, you know, to make his athletes better. Look at the results. I enjoy just sending back and forth. You can actually just get him, you control him essentially by sending interesting videos and you could just see his mind. <laughs> He's going to do research on that. Because <laughs> I kept sending him videos of bears because he claimed that a lion would beat a bear because, I'd love to get your take on this. Okay, so the bear is much bigger, much stronger. But his take is that the bear's, 
don't have experience of fighting to the death. That's not part of the culture. They're more scared. In fact, he keeps sending me footage of like even like a small mountain lion scaring a bear away because they're they don't want to fight. Uh, so his idea is that it really matters your life experience, <laughs> how much you fight. It's not necessarily the skill, um, like the dimensions, the the characteristics you have. Uh, but then I send him. Yeah, I'll show you. <laughs> People should um, Google this. It's bears fighting of any kind. And it's, it's pretty much the most epic thing ever. Here, I'll show you. Like, look at these guys. The cardio, though, is interesting. You know, it's funny. I, I was going to mention that because I was, you know, flipping to the internet. I came, I came around that video. Look how big these guys are. No, they're huge, but see, they don't bite each other. You think so it's just play? They're trying to, no, intimidating because they don't want to get hurt. So they try to size each other up. You know, they've, they, yeah. uh, they'll see the whole fighting is sizing each other up. There's a lot of pushing and the, 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 the fur is so thick, so the claws doesn't really damage much. And they're, they're using they, the tree, so maybe they, they yeah. They, yeah. They're, I mean, they, 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 there is bites, but see, there's very little. So the whole time they're trying to intimidate the other one, like winning the fight by their size. And mostly about like the way drunk yeah. college kids fight, which is like yeah. some kind of display of dominance versus actual. Yeah, they're not fighting f to kill. And bear or tiger, you know, they, they fight to finish. Unless the other one runs away, like one would die. Yeah, well, the lions and tigers. Yeah, yeah I. Uh, but look at the cardio. Look how bad their cardio is. Yeah. I wonder how. Uh, my favorite part is when one of them just like stands behind a tree and says, "All right, <laughs> he's holding." He's <laughs> <laughs> getting Let the me breath. Catch my breath. <laughs> <laughs> he sits down. He's like, "All right, you can't. It's over." <laughs> It's like uh, it's the equivalent uh, in the in the in the forest, like tapping out. All right, all right, you got me. Let me just, yeah. just catch you. look. They're both like uh, just shot. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but see, the thing is that I was trying to make an argument for is that we, we get this rare footage. It's not rare. I mean, it was like hundreds of videos, but it's not millions of videos because there's a huge number of bears. And I was trying to say that there's some badass bear we don't know about. Because he just goes in there and just does work. And we just don't know about it because he's like everyone. See, the thing is, walk. if you kill a lot of other animals, you probably have a territory that nobody's going to mess with you. So it's very hard to catch the, uh, the, um, like, the Haja Gracie of bears, you know? <laughs> <laughs> he's just going to be sitting there doing nothing. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know. I feel like. Of course, when you corner him, John will say that if you put a bear and a lion in a cage, the bear will win. If it's like if it's to if it, if they're forced to be to the death, but I don't know. Oh, let me ask you another ridiculous thing before I ask you serious questions. Um, so Joe Rogan thinks that a tie um, is an effective way to attack somebody. I don't. Know if, I I can't believe I haven't in the time in Vegas I didn't talk to you about this. I think it's not. Have you ever explored this as, as the best choker in the world? Have you ever explored the use? Because like, Jiu-Jitsu has the jacket, but the tie, to me, 
is a pretty shitty uh, way to choke somebody. Like intuitively, it thinks like it's a good way, but it can slide around. It's it feels uh, like if it feels like there's no uh, there's no way to really pin. You would need to, right? So you use it the way you use a belt. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, but then like I, would, the, I would guess so. Yeah, the, I don't. I don't think it's. And I, I think if it gives you, it actually has the reverse effect, which it gives you the the false sense of confidence that you can use it, and instead it'll just distract you. So he think is a stronger weight than the collar, or just yeah. a strong weight? Yeah, stronger, no, than, stronger the than the collar. Yeah, yeah. I don't see how. Maybe just like well, in a street fight scenario, right? Like, um, but by the time you grab the tie, the guy goes punch your nose. <laughs> yeah. What what uh, what George Saint Pierre thinks is the best use of the tie is to actually like a um, what do you call that? So basically, to off balance them, which is an interesting point. To like, I mean, to, that to can be used too. Yeah. But you could use the jacket for the same yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't really fully tested it. It's a, a, I'll say jacket or tie and for that perspective of unbalancing, off balancing the person. It can be, yeah, because you you know you have control of the person's neck. The collar, you know, the jacket moves. So for the purpose of off balancing the person, I would agree with George. See, the thing is, that's the thing about martial arts is you can say all kinds of bullshit, but until you really test it, in. Uh, over a period of years, the competition, you won't really know. I think like, that's where it, my gut says, um, just how easily the time moves. My gut says the collar, there is something really powerful about the jacket. There's like the way it sits. I mean, the fact that the arms trap it from rotating. Yeah. Like it's a weird piece of clothing. It's a really dangerous piece of clothing that we put on ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, and it's kind of cool that we've developed this whole martial arts system that allows you to use that to, to, to do a lot of damage. It's very interesting. So when we're saying something that you develop over the years of practice over and over again, going back to the efficiency of the amount of back, by experience of attacking people, they people always had a much higher chance of escaping from the back than from my mount. So... It's, I feel if, if I mount and you get both my hands on your neck, you cannot escape. If my hands are deep, it's over. Like that, I don't remember anyone escaping, but I do remember if my hands are deep on your collar or even a real naked choke is still a hassle. Like so it's not clean. You have some data on this. Is there some aspect to you, to how your body is, the characteristics of your body that that fits a particular set of techniques? So if we just look at jiu-jitsu broadly, do you see most techniques being able to work for most people? Like uh, what you're saying about mount versus back control, is this is it possible for a different body type the mount is not as effective? Uh, yeah, of course. I'll say very big people, they should amount. You don't think of yourself as big? No, big, I mean fat. Oh. They should stay off the mount. Why is that? That's a counterintuitive it's mobility. Notion. It's like it's. I think that you know, you don't see any, you know, like I, there was few ways, like 160 kilo, like you know, two, in pounds. I don't know, 270 pounds of a lot of fat. It's you. You need a bit of mobility, and that would it would play against you. So even, great, even even back. A even great back mount is the same. requires mobility. Yeah. Okay. So even though it doesn't look like you're moving very much when you're doing mount, no. that requires mobility. Yeah. 
Because you have to reposition and yeah. weight redistribution. Constantly adjusting your, your body. All right. The legend goes, you got very good by training mostly with lower ranks. Uh, what was your training like in that environment? So when I first moved to London, I was 20 years old. I opened my school there. And I had nobody to train with. I had one guy that was teaching with me a black belt, middleweight. It was good. And that's it. Braulio was, he moved to the same, he moved to England the same time as I did, but he was in Birmingham. So we did go together, you know, maybe twice a week, closer, you know, when we were preparing for something. If not, then not very often, as often as we could, but let's say not that often. And I had just collar belt students. There was no one high level. There was no one world champion in any belt to train. Then you need to, create a scenario that simulates, that can simulate, you know, like a realistic fighting. So I think on that aspect, you know, when people said, you know, people ask, why do I have a, such a basic game? I think that also influenced me sharpen up all my skills when I moved there. Because, you know, when I'm, when I'm if you practice with people, you know, lower level than you, you cannot, there's nothing to, to learn from them. Or, you know, you can learn things and practice with them, but I would say very complex things on them. It is not the best. So it's, I sharpen up all my skills. So, I, you know, that when I really improved everything that I already knew to a higher level. But how can you sharpen something if the resistance is much lower level than... A purple belt can make it very hard for you to escape side control. doesn't have to be a world champion black belt. It's, you know, if it's one is holding you, it can be very hard. What about on the attack? How do, you, how do you become literally by far the best person at the cross choke from mount by training with purple belts? It's sometimes purple belts defense way better than black belts. Okay. See, a lot of people listening to that would be like, that makes no sense, Hodger Gracie. What, <laughs> how does that make any sense? Because like a lot of the black belts, even world champion, they get to the black belt, they're really good. In, a, in what in what they do, let's say in the guard, you know, on, on top or in the bottom position, but their defense are not. Like very, very few people, high level, have a very good defense because they don't practice. Yeah. Then that goes back to how you train. You know, you can be very tough. Very tough will make you terrible defense because you're not going to practice your weakness. Mm -hmm. So your weakness is still going to be terrible. You can have the best guard in the world, impossible to pass. The day people pass your guard, you're nothing. Like, it's your, your guard is high, the highest level, but your side control defense are not. Mm -hmm. Your mount defense are not. So some purple belts, it, they practice this, you know, the, the, the mount way more than that black belt did. So the, naturally, the defense is better. So they, they get to experience the defensive position much, yeah. much, much more. And especially training with you, they get yeah. really good at defending. Yeah. And then over and over again, you attack them with the same thing over and over again. I mean, they know what's coming. They will block. They will develop a defense over that. Yeah. Way better than most other high-level black belts. So both put yourself into really bad positions with low ranks yeah. and just keep attacking in the same way over and over and over. Yeah. yeah. And with that, you were able to be at the at top of the world, at the world championships. Yeah. I mean, can you give some 
like what was the preparation like to a world championship with the lower ranks i mean um i did a lot of boxing <laughs> a lot of conditioning no but the, the conditioning is a big part of it yeah but the one thing that helped me extremely living in england in london was training judo at the burukwai in london that helped me massively because it it, it gave me the motivation to learn something new because it, you know the, the, uh, by then at the Burukwai, you know the stand up was i'm sure today it is too but by then it was even higher than it is today like there was some very high level ju judo guys training there and i mean the first time i went there my stand up was terrible compared to theirs i mean it was it was, was bad but compared to them it was terrible so i was getting thrown like a child <laughs> and that motivated me to keep to keep coming back and 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 get better. So that made my jujitsu much stronger. I became my base got better, my top game improved, my pressure game improved. Did uh does Neil Adams train? Uh Ray class? Stevens. Ray no, Stevens. When he I've never met Neil Adams. Ray have you, Stevens. Have you met a, Neil Adams? No. Is the, the, he's the voice of judo. I don't know if you, yeah. you watch the tournaments. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. uh incredible. Yeah. Ray Stevens is a you know, so was silver medal, silver medalist in the Olympics. He won European. I mean, he won a lot. So you did some judo training. What's your him. favorite throw? Like uh, a soto, like you know, Uchimata. I would say Uchimata. If I would pick one. So that made you better at jiu-jitsu as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And and back then, like for the first, I'll say maybe three years, maybe four. I went to Brazil for like two months before every major tournament. Got it. So I said, you know, I move away from the school and I really focus. So I was really well prepared with my judo and everything else, sharpen up my skills, and then went going to Brazil to train with like really high level people. So that way I would manage it to compete in the highest level. What uh, advice would you give to, let's start with a complete beginner. So, um, you know, a, a bunch of people come up to me and they still wanna start doing jujitsu. What advice would you give them Try to absorb as much technique as you can and try to be as relaxed as you can. Don't, you know, don't desperately try to fight so hard. Like learn and move slow. Move slow and relax. That's the hardest thing to do. <laughs> the hardest. <laughs> you, know, you know what I find with people, it seems like it's hard to even know that you're not relaxed. It's it's like uh, the introspection. They don't even know what it feels like to relax. Not even know they tense. Yeah, right. They try to relax. They look at you, say, "What? Yeah, yeah. What do you mean, relax? I'm yeah. relaxed." Yeah, exactly. Then, <laughs> exactly. The arms are shaking. <laughs> <laughs> you feel it. And in terms of going slow, they're like, "Yeah, where well, I am going slow." No, you're you're not. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's there's a there's a grace and elegance of movement that you can probably pick up from a lot of other disciplines. Uh, like for me, I think that came from just learning piano at a young age. Because for, um, I think any mobility thing, to learn how to move efficiently, you have to know how to relax. Yeah. So it's just the fact that you can, like, the body can be tense or it can be relaxed. Just knowing that fact. <laughs> now imagine you show the stance. Yeah. Do you think you play, play piano well? No. no. Yeah, everything has everything. to be relaxed. I guess some of that is mind too. But just knowing that and being self-aware. and you, But see, like, even me, um, you know, approaching a thing I'm not, I don't know anything about, 
being a beginner, you're going to tense up. Yeah. No matter, and like, it actually takes a conscious effort to think to relax. I mean, that's- Massively. That's why learning things as an adult is much harder than as a child. Yeah. Like, it's very hard. And as an adult, it's like to get to the highest level, it's not possible. Because you will never relax the way you should. Yeah, relax in the way that you become like water, but then you yeah. solidify in the right places. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is there advice you can give to an adult? So like somebody that has a job, like a hobbyist, like how to progress, how to get I mean, have for, train, There's, just need to train as much as you can. Not, you know, five, seven days a week because you get, you're gonna get injured. I mean, two, three times a week to start is the best way to, to you know, to, 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 to initiate your jujitsu journey and practice the same thing over and over again. When they don't work, it's just because you're not doing well, not because, you know, you have to learn something else. Do you see some value in just picking a set of techniques that seem to, that seem to draw your heart in? Like, for example, I'll give you an example. You're going to yell at me. But... <laughs> uh, I never learned the close guard well. It just never connected with me. Um, you could say it's body mechanics, whatever, it doesn't matter. The point is, it's just like my heart never connected with it. Uh, you know, the way I justified it to myself is I felt like when you're bad, you're using the close guard, just like you could use the half guard to stall. So I, I was really drawn to the butterfly guard as a beginner because I thought, that I have or open guard in general, uh, there's, I have no options to stall, so I'm going to learn. My thinking was, let me do the guard that enforces me to learn. And then I fell in love with the butterfly guard and the open guard and so on. And I never, I never really understood the close guard. And the other thinking was, do I really need to understand the close guard? Because it's always by choice that I go there. So I can avoid not I mean, you really can learning. avoid anything you want. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to do anything. Well, in this life, yes. It doesn't yeah. make you complete. That's, that means you but have you a you want weakness. to be complete as a, this is the question, how valuable is it to be complete to get good? It depends how good you want to be. <laughs> okay, let's go. Uh, well, there's several questions there. Yeah, okay, the, the, like to be the best in the world, do you need to be complete? Of course. The best in the world, of course you have to be complete. Otherwise, you somebody's going to be Better than you. But what about like, to, so to understand, to defend, you have to be also good at the offense and of in every single position? Otherwise you you have a weakness and someone can capitalize on that weakness. Okay, what about to be like a hobbyist? Then you can, don't have to. But can you, or then is it still you, bad? I mean, it's not bad. I mean, nothing is bad. I mean, if you, as a hobbyist, you start late. I mean, it's, it doesn't matter how far you're gonna get. As long as you enjoy it, just, Train as much as you can. Mm -hmm. If it's twice a week, twice a week it is. You, you'll, you'll be limited how good you will be training twice a week, of course, than the guy that trains twice a day. You know, it's just, the more you train, the better you get. Yeah, but you have to select what you train, that's what I'm asking. So no, 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 yes, but like, for how long? Like, there would some point in your life that you might try something, see if you like it. You know, so there's some point in your life that you might, okay, let me try close guard. You might not like it now. Maybe in two, three years from now. Well, still don't like it. <laughs> I, I kept trying it. Listen, because, listen, it's very difficult to get any respect in jiu-jitsu. It's, it's hard to get to black belt and beyond in jiu-jitsu 
at a respectable place and not have a good close guard. Close guard is... Yeah, is, is I mean, it's, they, they don't do it. It's not necessary. Yeah, I'm being a rebel. No, no, it's not. It's I'll say because it's not, it's not a position that you under pressure, that if you don't know you'll be in trouble. You're not going to be in trouble not to know the close guard. You're just going to go straight for open guard. I mean, the, the, it's not a problem. The main limitation is if you don't do close guard a lot, that you don't quite, you don't get a full complete picture of understanding how to attack close guard when somebody puts you into a close guard when you're on top. So it's nice to know both sides of it, just to understand. Yeah, but you can have a pretty good understanding of how to defend from the top and not having any bottom. I mean, some of it is also just like the length of legs and just the, the, yeah. the geometry of your body. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm sure Marcelo Garcia has a good close guard, but... I don't, I've never seen it. <laughs> that's, that's exactly, that's the point I'm trying to make. <laughs> in theory, in theory, you can yeah. imagine it. But like for a hobbyist, I think it's interesting to think of that. Like, it, is it possible to... Is it possible to s focus on a, on a small set of techniques that help you to develop? Yeah, of course. Still into yeah, a good jiu-jitsu player. Yeah, of course. And still I mean, enjoy and still be able to Most people be... hobbies in the, in the jiu-jitsu world, 99%. I mean, people that compete. Yeah, even the people that compete. And 1% so max. And yeah. you have high-level competitors have no clue what close guard is. Okay, thank you for making <laughs> No, I think you would say that most people don't have an Coast Guard is such a such a difficult position to understand for me. Maybe one day we'll brainwash. Yeah, good. I, I felt it's too easy to stall uh versus attack. That's that that was my main concern. Is like I want to be forced in every way to um to to always be attacking, to always be moving, to always be and, and it felt like if I got really good, I've seen it ha happen with half, half guard too. It's like when people get really good at half guard, it's, it just feels stally. If you just look at the at the matches and so on, it's you slow things down to a thing that's not. You don't get reps on learning. You don't get action in interesting ways. So that was my worry that I'll get old and fat and just sitting <laughs> in close guard all day, <laughs> holding on to the white belts trying to kill me. Cause it's also, I mean, that's the other thing for hobbyists and for everyone is to, it, like when you first start, I think you have to relax in the face of the fact that you're just getting your ass kicked nonstop. Yeah. That can also be really tough on the ego. I think the, probably the right way to see that is you're growing as a person. You see that clearly when they are like in a bad position, let's say side mount or mount, like a beginner, he will never relax on those positions. The moment that you say go, they like trying to <laughs> push you out and yeah. explode. There's no relaxation and work on the defense. It's like, no, it's a out and go until I have zero to give, <laughs> until I'm exhausted, my arms cannot move. <laughs> 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 it's kind of fun to watch, actually. What's the role of drilling? Do you, do you like drilling? I do not like drilling, but I'll tell you why. I think fighting is mechanic, right? So it's, it's, it's very important to drill a move until you learn the mechanic. Of course, it's important. If someone want to teach you an arm lock, 
you want to practice that movement until you learn the mechanic of it, but the guy's not resisting, so it's easy to apply it, right? So you apply as many times as you have to until you know the mechanic of the moves, until you can apply the mechanics. Uh, the moment that you know how to apply it, there's no more point in drilling. Now you have to practice. Now you have to practice with resistance. Of course, you're not going to practice with the guy fully resisting the guy's better than you because he's not going to give you a chance to practice that move. But you have to practice with resistance. So where does drilling comes on that is most of people, you know, they, they flow drill and everything. I think whatever you do, you condition in your body to do something. Is the you know you do you repeat the same move over over and over again? So your body is conditioning to apply that movement or that technique. Drilling is not realistic because the other person is not resisting. You know the flow movement or whatever. A after you go beyond when you already know the 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 mechanics, the drilling with no resistance is not going to teach you anything because you will never know if how to apply the movement with resistance. So it's pointless to carry on drilling after you learn the mechanics. See, but you're making it sound easy to learn the mechanics. I would argue. You can drill as many times. I'm not r r limiting how much you drill. Yes. You drill as, as long as you had to. I mean, it doesn't matter how long. The benefit of drilling, I'm just playing devil's advocate with you. <laughs> the, be the benefit of drilling is that you can more efficiently get a higher number of reps in. So... What are you going to gain with those reps? Understanding the mechanics of the movement. Yeah. And what I would like to argue is you don't necessarily need a resistance to deeply understand the mechanics of something. Now, I, I don't agree. know. There's some, no, for some, there's some moves. Like, I bet you, you could drill your way to an incredible mount. Like, mount is a good example of that. You don't really need a resist. I can imagine a world in which the resisting opponent is not essential for developing some of the very fine details of the mechanics. Which one? Because I don't know any. What? You say mount. Yes. What what are you gonna achieve by resist by drilling with no resistance after you learn the mechanics? In mount. But see what I'm trying to tell you, the learning of the mechanics isn't a thing where you get a certificate and you're done. You're gonna learn the fine details of the way you redistribute your weight. You're going to learn how to move your I don't understand yeah, mount. So, a dead body. Yeah, like every, everything body. you do is a slow process and timing. You do have, you timing, have to, you, you have to understand it. moving. Okay, it's the guy's resisting. Like he's not. I'm not going to grab you and apply the movement. I need to grab you and feel when is the right time to do. Like that. That it only comes when you with movement. If you're not fully resistant, how would I know? You couldn't infer through it. It's like oh. a with no movement, with no resistance. Like no, arm there's, lock. There's some resistance. Okay, arm lock. Let's there's see some... arm lock. You, you, okay. Okay, let's say you've been drilling for a week. Yeah. Five hours a day. Mm -hmm. You should be an expert with the mechanics. Right. But now, how are you going to carry on res drilling with no resistance? No. You have exactly. to mean, yes, yes. After that week, drilling five times, five hours a day, the, the arm lock, you still have no clue how to apply the arm lock against a resistant opponent. Mm -hmm. No clue, zero. Yeah. So you don't know the movement, you know the mechanic, which is, you know, it's like how long you have to drill and how, that doesn't matter, it's, it varies of the person. You can drill for a month. After that month is over, 
you should understand how the mechanic works, you still have no clue how to apply the movement against a resisting opponent. You will never ever know how until you apply with a fully resisting opponent. Yeah. That's the, the only way to know, to, to, to really learn a movement. Yes, well put. But the question is, can you have a small percentage of time when you go against a resisting opponent to get the wisdom and the insight of what it takes to perform that movement and you spend a large percentage of other time just practicing the mechanics of it? So like, uh, do you need to, as you get better and better at technique, to basically drift away completely from drilling and more into the the sparring? I, I'd like to, I just... You like drilling? <laughs> no, I don't like drilling. I see, I well, yes, I like drilling, I would say. Uh, but I just see it always bothered me in the jiu-jitsu community how few people really saw the value of drilling. I've seen it in wrestling, especially in the in the Russian style of wrestling, like the value of drilling. I don't necessarily mean that it's like a dead body or like a dummy or something like that, but just getting the reps in, really focusing on the high amount of reps. I agree in wrestling and judo. I agree that drilling is very important and you should drill a thousand times each move. Yeah, judo is a really big one for that too. It is, because it's, it's is the movement, the, the timing, you know, is, is the precision of the movement. Yeah. It has to be perfectly, because it's one movement. Then is you, you learn about the timing of the movement when you're fighting, but during fighting, you only need to know the time, because your body movement is exactly the same when you drill. That's really well put, yeah. The mechanics but is much it, more important there. Yeah, but it's completely different for jujitsu, because let's say from jujitsu, like the arm lock, for example, we we use that as an example. Let's see from the close guard. Even my close guard, before I go for the arm lock, I need to have a set of grips. Let's say I have your collar in your arm, right? And then, you know, when you're drilling, I'm gonna grab your arm, I'm gonna grab your collar, and I'm gonna drill my body until I can apply the arm lock and finish. And I can do that a thousand times. Okay, now we're fighting, we start with the grip. The moment that I initiate the arm lock attack, you will defend the arm lock will not work. So it's not the one movement that will get me to attack the arm. There's a there's a combination of other things that I need to do. I need to feel about your weight. You know, I need to get you close to it. There's so many other things involved that I need to feel that only comes with life, life uh, with, with a fully resistant opponent. Yeah. So pretty quickly, it has to be live. Yeah. And then it comes how you practice, how you train. You're starting on that position and just saying, let's go. And, and the moment that we disengage from that position, we go back, that's when you really learn. Because everything that you do wrong, you're going to go back there and you're going to try again, try again, try again. And the repetition, it will teach you, have a feeling of timing, when to go. If there's, a, you know, there's other combinations, which you, sh you always has uh, to go with it. Uh, by the way, for the internet that's currently yelling at me for arguing with Haja Gracie about drilling, that that's called you know uh, playing devil's advocate to strengthen to explore ideas. I'm not actually arguing. Okay, I forgot to ask you um, if you had to fight against the bear, lion, gorilla, or anaconda to the death, um, which one would you choose, and would you be able actually to win against any of them? Well, a bear. A lion, a uh, tiger, a tiger, or anaconda. Oh, a uh, gorilla too. Gorilla, you can go gorilla. 
I'll probably choose the anaconda. <laughs> That's easy. <laughs> so that, I mean, you're not allowed to run away though. So uh, you're in a cage. Do you, you have to kill? Still the anaconda. Okay. So the other one. <laughs> okay. I think I have no chance against any other ones. Zero I, chance. I, I might have That's what John a, thinks. I, I think uh, I have I, a tiny little against the anaconda. <laughs> <laughs> just wait it out. You don't. You don't think it's possible to be. I just. Um, it. It feels like technique can do something against these animals. But they have so much strength, so much I mean, aggression. You, you know that the real naked choke, translated into Portuguese, is kill the lion. So, ever since I was a kid, I always thought that maybe if I get behind a, a lion, the real naked choke, which you know in Portuguese it says mata leão, so mata leão means kill the lion. Mm -hmm. So I always thought that that's the only way to kill a lion or to, you know, if but you're that, fighting that, against a lion, go behind and put the real naked choke, I think you put him to sleep or the yeah. name Mata Leon yeah. is like kill the lion. Yeah. Someone came up with the name. Why? Somebody must have. Maybe done. someone <laughs> going to a fight with the lion choked him there up. There you go, John. <laughs> there you go. I, so, I honestly, do you think, or so actually, yeah, you, you understand controlling positions. Do you think like an um, animal, like a gorilla or a lion would shake you off? If you had back full, you locked in. Well, I would say the it. one that I would have the biggest chance of staying there is the lion because it's just thinner body. Yeah. It's smaller than a tiger, I guess. I think tigers are bigger. Yes. So So do you think they can shake you off though? I think I'll have a bigger chance of staying against a lion's back than any other animal. Still not answering the question. Do you think you have a chance? If I start on the back? I start full locked in. Full controls. Let's say it's a small enough line that you can actually have a full. I'll, I'll guess so. I mean, I, I I would like to believe so. Okay. Well, like <laughs> just like you said, somebody must have been able yeah. to do it. Throughout your journey in jiu-jitsu, have there been low points? Like, has there been points where you really doubted yourself? No, I never really doubted myself. There's low points in defeats. That those are the low points when I lost. How did you deal with defeats? I just went back to the gym next week and say I need to get better. That every time I I lost, I'm like I need to get better because I need to choke them out. I I need to submit them because you know win by points. It's as a black belt, I have very very little loss. I would say, I mean I don't like to sound like a crime baby, but I'll say most most of those loss was very very controversial. I yeah, there, it was not a dominant, clear performance. It has about referees and points and so on. Everything I was, since I was very young, I always fought against my opponent and the referee. Like it's, if there was ever in my whole life, since I was a kid, there was ever a doubt, they, you always go to my opponent. Always, always. I, that was just something that I had to do my whole life. Yeah, what's the motivation behind what led to the fact that you win most of your matches by submission or in dominance? Like, are you chasing? Because that's the only way to prove you better. And I'm never, I never fought to win tournaments. That was never my goal. That was the consequence of me trying to be the best. Like I don't care how many titles I have. I care about, I need to beat all my opponents and not, not win because win is not enough. I have to submit them. That's the only way to prove I'm the best.
to submit them. If I win by advantage or a point, that means I was better than them that day. That does not mean I'm better than them. If there's and no if play, you if they top, if if I take you down, pass your guard, mount you, and submit you, there's zero questions who's the best. Like there's nothing you can say about it. If I foot sweep you, you put your butt on the floor, I get an advantage. We carry on fighting and I win, means nothing. Not even means I'm better than you. And if that happened, that would haunt you. It, it's, for me, it's not enough. I wouldn't be happy. What advice would you give to young folks who look at you, who are able to accomplish from a place where you're not very good to becoming the best in the world at a thing? What advice would you give them to um, have a journey like that, to have a journey where they could be successful in their career and their life to, to, to such a high level? Determination is the most important thing. You need to know where you're going to get there. So you need to have a goal, which whatever that goal is, like you need to set that goal for yourself so you know where you want to go. And to have the determination to get there and be sure that you will fail many times. Like you cannot let your failures bring you down because you you will fail many times. Everybody does. So you said you didn't look to external sources of uh, belief. You just believed in yourself. Yeah. Is there something to that where um, you have to try to like be your own source of belief, flame the fire within yourself? Was that was that something difficult to do? Like, um, but that was just very natural for me. I said, you know, you can surround yourself with great people. That is extremely important. Don't surround yourself with failures because they will, they're not going to push you to, you know, they don't know what it is, how to get there. I mean, everybody knows, but it's when you surround yourself with winners, you know, you will know what it took them to get there. You use them as an example. Yeah, there's a certain kind of aura to people that just achieve great things yeah. and being around them. But it's still, it's hard to find people that, especially at that early stage. Any any area. Yeah. Any area. That's right. <laughs> yeah, greatness has a certain, I think it's almost humbling just to see, okay, any human, like at least that's a lesson I learned. Almost any human can do, can be great. I mean, one, I've used Muhammad Ali as a great example. Look at his belief. Look at how much he believed himself before he was Muhammad Ali. Look at the you know determination he had, the way, the confidence he had fighting, even on his loss. They never changed him. No, when he fought Foreman, George Foreman, I not not one person in the world thought he was going to win that fight by himself. He never doubted himself. Everybody else did. He won over all odds against. So it's, I mean, you, you, when you look at people like that, you can, you don't have to be a boxer to try to, you know, follow his example. But see, those are like epic giant battles, but I feel like you fight the same kind of battle when you're young and your parents tell you that, you know, just with their whole energy that this is silly, don't be silly, don't, don't be silly to chase. It's harder 
it's, it is harder. But as a kid, it's harder to deal with that because, I mean, to go against adults, especially parents, telling you otherwise, like the, the, the amount of strength you need is I, I, it's gigantic. I don't even know how much strength you need because that was not my case. So I can understand what you have to go through with the, with the force of your parents telling you, you know, otherwise. But it's how much you want, it will dictate how far you're gonna go, where you're gonna go. So it's, you know, if you can break through that, you get nowhere, it's that simple. And actually, one of the really nice things the internet does that I would give advice to young people is like you can find, even even if your parents are not a source of that, your teachers, your community, you can find people on the internet yeah. that will believe in you. Yeah, it's kind of cool. It's it's kind of cool how the internet opens the possibility of like a community of like ten, eleven year olds, <laughs> like building shit. I, I see this all the time. Engineering, they, and they, I mean, they're fueled by belief. They want to. Um, they want to be like, they want to create the next trillion dollar company, right? There, there, <laughs> there's that fire in their eyes and not for the money, obviously, but to do something really impactful. And I think that fire is extinguished often by teachers and yeah. and uh, parents. Because I think the logic that parents have and teachers, they look at a kid and they don't, on the surface level, they don't see greatness. Right, they just see kind of mediocrity, and so to them, it's like no, right? The world is more complicated than that. In order to get great, you have to, like, like they they somehow kind of always try to be reasonable with you, and in so doing, extinguish the flame. It's weird. I think most people are afraid, so to even try, so you can call them cowards for not trying because you are a coward for not trying, not putting yourself at risk. Right, so I would say a big part of society are cowards for never trying, never pursuing what they really want. Is so it's there is you know a, 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 a weight, a pressure. Everyone, most people, a lot of people, I'll say around you, that because they were afraid to try, they they don't incentivize people to do so because. They want everybody to be like them because imagine if everybody around you suddenly are not afraid and everyone is trying and you look yourself in the mirror and say, I was too scared. I've never tried. So you feel really bad about yourself. So it's easier to have people around you that think exactly like you than otherwise. So they reflect a lot on the kids. It's, you know, society almost like pressed them down to be like everybody else to have a normal life, normal job. It's, you know, don't take risk because you can lose it all. I mean, that's the worst thing you can tell everybody. Take all the risks, lose it all a few times. That's <laughs> yeah. how you're gonna build things. Especially when you're young. Yes. You can I mean, recover much. Exactly, what's, what's, the, what's the point of not trying? You, you should try and you, should, and you will lose everything. Doesn't matter, what's, what's, what, what, what it matters to lose at everything. It does matter. It will teach you resilience. You know, try harder. Go after. You know, it's don't don't live a normal life because otherwise you, I mean, what we're here for? Yeah. Take big risks. Take a lot yeah, of them. Fail and fail and fail and fail. Fail a thousand Never times until you succeed, and then you're gonna you'll be the 
most proud of yourself. Like it's this, this, that they not be priceless. It's that then will change the world. It is true that most people are not necessarily cowards, but have cowardice in them. It's most people are just afraid to try it, you know? And a lot of it comes from a place of love because, um, you know, if you try and you fail, you, you get hurt. <laughs> um, and it hurts. I mean, it's not it's not a pleasant thing to fail. I mean, you feel terrible to think, you know, when I lost any tournament was a good thing. You know, when think when I was getting beat up at the gym over and over again was a good thing. When I was getting there and getting smashed by all the good guys, I think I liked it. Well, I hate it. But it's my resilience that, you know, make me carry on until I succeed. I think I like to get tapped. Well, I'm the most competitive, one of the most competitive persons you know. I hate yeah. to lose. But it's, I accept. I mean, I just, I just need to get better. Every single time I lost in the championship, I hate it. You, I've never screamed. No one ever saw me screaming, shouting that, you know, I got robbed. You know, I should have won. The referee, yeah, boy, you know, screwed me over. I mean, it's okay. It happened. Shit happens. <laughs> I need to get better because I don't want to be in that position ever again. So when I fight, if I'm better, if I tapped him, there's no question. I don't need to wait for the referee to decide that those points or no points. If, you know, his interpretation, that made me better. Because I, I was even more determined to be better. In my mind, I have to tap everybody else. Winning is not enough. It's just objectively speaking, what you learn the most from is really wanting to succeed and then failing. <laughs> and doing that often. That's the reality from a parent, from a teacher perspective, from anybody, from people you love. If they really want to do something, help them do that thing. If you think they're going to fail, good. Help them do that faster so they fail faster. Of course. <laughs> and they're yeah. going to learn. The only way to succeed is failing. There is no other way. That's what people have to understand. Yeah. Without failing, there is no success. Since you've gotten a little softer, a little more emotionally open, what's the role of love in the human condition, Hadra Gracie? Probably the most important thing. That's the basic of everything, right? It's, I mean, love brings the best of us. It's if we had more love and compassion from, from the other person, I think we'd, we'll be a more evolved species. The world would be a much better place than it is now. Did friends, family help you along the way? Yeah, a lot. I always had a lot of love and help from many people. That's why I succeed. I never got here by myself. I had a lot of people who loved me believed in me and helped me get to be here today. Well, I'm glad they did. I'm glad you're here today. I'm a huge fan. It was an honor to meet you. It was uh, an honor to hang out with you in Vegas, to hang out with you again today. I've just been a huge fan for a long time. Uh, My pleasure, man. Thank you for everything you're doing. Thank you for this conversation. It was awesome. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this conversation with Haja Gracie. To support this podcast, please check out our sponsors in the description. And now, let me leave you with some words from Haja Gracie himself. Jiu-Jitsu is simple. You just have to do it right. Thank you for listening and hope to see you next time.